small pod and no cast makes Jack a dull boy. Does he say that out loud? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's not typed. even a line. It's typed. It's visually depicted on screen. It is in fact never said out loud. This movie has like a lot of famous quotes. Yeah. You know, here's Johnny. That's really another quote. Podcast backwards is Oh. Ooh, no wait. Yeah. All right, T S A C D O P. Sackdop. 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 That works. You can talk. Please talk. Please talk. Save I have us a friend from this. who you can say a sentence to, and he can just he do can do that. it. Backwards. And he can. He'll do that. He'll do like that mental math for a yeah. second, and then say it backwards, and then he'll you know. He I don't can know. do a he sentence. Can, he can like oh, not yeah, just he can a word. Do a full sentence. Mm. Wow, friend sounds weird. Uh, well, we're not like close. Okay, close. Right. he's more of like a friend of a friend. I really, I can't speak to what he's like. I, I mean, I feel like maybe I overstated it. Yeah, you just saw this guy at a circus. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's my friend. You guys ever heard of? Uh, By the way, was the guy Bailey? was a chicken? Spell the words backwards by pecking. Hello, Danny. Come and podcast with us. There you go. Right forever there. Forever and Come and ever. podcast yeah. with us forever. And ever. Yeah, that's a classic. That's a classic. This movie. Here's the thing I'll say about this movie. A uh, lot of iconic elements. Yeah, right. Sure. It sure. is pretty wild uh, rewatching this and just going like, oh, pretty much every single thing in this film is iconic. There are a few films that I feel like are this thoroughly seeped into the culture. The fucking yes. rugs are iconic. That's the thing. Even if you've never seen this movie before, this is absolutely a movie that you absorb by cultural osmosis, where it's like the lines, the looks, okay, the movements, the art direction, the costumes, even things like. I I uh, did not see this movie until I think I was like sort of much older, but mm -hmm. had had soaked so much of it in through osmosis, like yeah. you're talking about. Even like red rum, yes, you would think would be a massive part of this movie, but right. it's really just something that comes up and is dealt with in. It's it's just something that sort of gives you a jolt, and that's that. Yeah, and that's right. it. I mean, it's sort of yeah hinted at for, but right, it's not like. Well, one of the million things I love about this, like, right, it's not like at the end and they have to like put red rum right into a computer and right. that unlocks a P or whatever. Like, like, it's not like this stuff doesn't come together in some way that's like important. No, nor no, need but, it. But even the imagery of like the Grady twins is another thing where you're like, how can this one movie contain all of these elements? And you watch it and you're like, because anything that happens in this movie that is on screen for more than three seconds somehow okay. became indelible. But can I say something? I yes. agree with everything you're saying. And yet, it's also a movie with kind of like 45 minutes of slow setup that's not particularly spooky and is a lot of conversation. Yeah. And like that, and that's fine. I yeah. love it all. But you like, know what makes it spooky though? What? If you just put on dramatic strings. Sure. There's no, that. I know. But it's like, also one of these movies where somehow the pacing is in and of itself scary. Where even when you're in the 45 minutes, it's like he edited this film with like the weirdest rhythms of like yeah. too much air in between yeah, lines. Yeah. God, I love where the that. the whole thing from moment one is just like, why was why won't this movie speed up? There is there is that thing like when you if you had never seen The Shining, mm -hmm. if you're a person who's never seen it but lives in this world, you would think. Oh, like, well, what I know about that movie is it is the scariest thing I'm ever going to see. Yes. And. When it comes down to it, only one person like gets killed. The entire the entire movie, one person. Yes. I mean, like other yeah. people no. in the story die. Yeah, right. like 
and right, there have been deaths. And there have been deaths. But there's only one murder. There's only and one, then Jack like, is murdered by the weather. Yeah, sure. So I guess, I mean, I don't know. The if ultimate put the weather on trial. Ways. Right. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, this movie is two years after Halloween, which sure. is a film that really kind of rewrites the rules of like, oh, you I mean, can kill everybody in a movie. Eh, yeah. Halloween only has like four murders, though. You know, people just were, you know, people were satisfied with a murder or two back then. Sure. They didn't need that just, I think, you know, yeah. 20 deaths a second. I mean, but flash forward, I mean, I am, I am as much a part of the problem because when I went to go see The Meg, mm. I was like, yeah, there many, are not enough kills. Like, there are not nearly right. enough. That's all you got? Huh? How many kills are you there? You go like Meg? that's all you got. That's all you got. You right. got the Meg, and there are only going right. to be like five or six people. I this saw is the Meg five on years a plane. after Jaws. It, Jaws is one of those movies also where it like feels like there are more deaths than there are. It's really just the the lady, the, the couple at the beginning, yeah. the kid, right? Robert Shaw. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Is that it? Is that everyone who maybe, dies in Jaws? Maybe it's maybe Am four people getting someone. But same, but you're saying like Halloween, only four people. But I think especially at that time, it was just like. Four felt like a lot. And those movies have this pervasive sense of like, fuck, anyone's at I, risk. I rate movies by Everyone. how many deaths. Of course. So two out of ten for The Shining. <laughs> you give Minus. it two bloody knives. <laughs> <laughs> two out of ten. It, it is funny what you're saying because I, I feel like this movie was Hitchcock saying, I want to I wanna try my hand at horror. And Hitchcock. my goal is ugh, Kubrick. Jesus. Wow. God. Hitchcock's still alive? He's still alive around now, right? Look, He'd be really oh, oh, old. I thought you were asking now. No, he's dead now. He is dead now. I he think... would be 122, three years wow. old now. No, he died in 1980, right before this movie came out. Because he knew it was going to bum him out. He knew it was going to bum him out. He knew it was going to be, fuck, he beat me. Yeah. No, 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 okay. Nah. No, Kubrick's whole thing was like, I need a hit. Let me go to a proven genre. Let me try a horror movie. And the challenge to myself is, can I make the single scariest movie ever made? But it's coming off of the 70s, which were such a like boon time for horror and sort of rewrote the rules of the genre. And you're like, there's all the sort of like build that happens in the 70s prior to this movie. And then there's sort of like the run after this movie where you have like a lot of slashers. And right, yeah, but, you, you, know, right. you have you have Jaws, you have Michael Myers, you have Leatherface before this. And then you have Freddy and Jason Those after guys. this, you know, Chucky. Chucky. All, yeah. Uh, it's wild that this movie sort of stands like. On its own it, in this midpoint and is so different than everything that comes before now. And I would love to talk to Alex about this, actually, thinking about his taxonomy of horror that he did on our Halloween episode, yes. right? About where The Shining falls in that, because The Shining's like Alex's favorite, or, well, one, one of his favorites. Yeah. yeah. Alex Perry, to be clear. He's a director. He's been on our show, Alex. Oh, no, I've no, listened, you know, you know who I've listened yeah, to the yeah, Halloween yeah, yeah. episode. I didn't want right. to, like, fan out and say how much oh, I you enjoyed it. Like, I, I loved it. It's good. But, right, like, because, like, obviously The Exorcist. Yeah. Which is what, like, uh, six, 70. seven years before the 73, yeah. right? Exorcist. Right. Uh, yeah, 73. Okay. That's a similar thing where it's like prestige horror with major yes. actors based on a bestseller. Right. That's going to be um, a little different in how you sell it versus like a Halloween or, you know, like a, or a Texas Chainsaw, right? Like, I assume that's what The Shining's going for in every way of like, this is based on a book. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's terrifying. Don't bring your kids. Right. But, like, you're not going to see this with a bunch of teenagers who are throwing popcorn. at Like, you know, this is, like, this is a serious adult movie. Here's, like, the biggest leading man. Biggest leading man. 
one of the most famous directors of all time mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. Like, right. he's only got two movies left and in King his career. And King has already sort of proven himself to be the guy, at least the guy of, of the decade at this point. Like, yeah, King is kind of the guy of the decade. And he was, and he was chill uh, at the time about right. this movie. Like, he only gripes later as it goes on. Right. You know, right. but like, yeah. Yeah, where, where's King, actually? Oh, you know, there's a lot to talk about. God, I'm getting... Look, wait, this is a... Wait, can I ask wait, this question? Because I didn't... I didn't... Uh, I sort of intentionally didn't look into a lot of the history mm-hmm. of it. But was this calculated in that way? I guess related to what we're talking about. That this movie almost seems like it exists out of time. If you had asked me if this came out before Halloween or after, yeah. I would have said it came out 15 years before right, Halloween. It right. seems like it does not exist. It doesn't exist. seem like part of a trend or anything It doesn't. Like it's no, like completely well, separate there, from there was a trend. There's a, a trend. There's an escalation. There's sort of an evolution of the genre that feels like it is not interrupted by this movie, but this movie exists out of line with it. Yes. And as impactful as this movie is, it doesn't affect any other movies afterwards. Yes, and that's yes. what I'm sort wondering. Of. Was yeah. this calculated by anyone like exactly what you're saying of it's the biggest movie star with one of the best directors everybody's already established yeah so was this calculated to be the sort of prestige horror i think so a little bit here's what i'll say though this is the second stephen king film adaptation there had only been one before this which is carrie and this was only his third published book third or fourth like very early salem's lot shining Um, right. Cause then the book's only like three years old It's 77. Um, but so like after the shining comes the real eighties wave of like lots of King stuff. Yeah. So that would be the trend you could point to not so much a Stanley Kubrick thing, more of just like a, yeah, you know, this established along with Carrie, like, let's just whatever that fucking guy wrote. That's let's put it on. Right. That's maybe the point where he becomes like a franchise in and of himself. But at this point, maybe he's. Like Dennis Lehan or something, where you're like, oh, this guy gets big adaptations by big directors, you know? Yeah, it's Cujo, Dead Zone, Christine, Children of the Corn, Firestarter, Stand By Me, The Running Man are the 80s adaptations. And then you also have, and then the ones he actually worked on, which are like Creep Show, right. uh, Cat's Eye, Maximum Overdrive, Pet Cemetery. It's a I lot wonder of stuff. If- and then this, the Salem's Lot miniseries as yeah. well, like so yeah. much stuff. I wonder if the thing that we're talking about existing sort of, it doesn't really affect any of the movies mm-hmm. after. I wonder if the way that this affected uh, movies that came after was, you know, like, the, like it always feels like this is a phenomenon of the moment of like just professional point missers. Like everybody in the world seems to be so good at missing the fucking point of everything. Yeah. And maybe... And it's like one of the reasons that I don't like being alive at any moment. Oh, it's terrible. It's awful. It's one of the worst things. But then I'm like, oh, maybe it's okay to be alive because they missed the fucking point back then. Right. And the point that they missed was, oh, everybody just needs axe murders. And so like everybody's like, oh, well, we're dumb and we missed the point. So (laughs) let's just have axe murder movies rather than thinking, why don't you just make the scariest fucking movie of all time? that just happens to have one guy get axed. Right. But it's hard to make the scariest. It's hard. This is my dad called this. this, Like, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? He's like The Shining. Like, yeah, I don't think he ever wavered from that. It is scary from the very 
first. This is what I'm saying. What the helicopter the, shot? You don't think that you think that's super? That looks nice. Pretty. It does. It's not pretty, foreboding it's really at all. The soundtrack. Yeah, that yeah, does sure. it. But I mean, it's just and the the, the there's something. Yeah, the it's just like every titles. camera move in this is scary. Yeah, every, there's some, like the camera almost makes you feel like you're gonna fall off yeah. the road. Yes, like it's very intentional. I think a hundred percent. Like because you, you think really this movie's need, intentional. Yeah, you think, you think some of the visuals in this film were, were were made with intention? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of thought going I into do, it. I do I just love imagine he's like I would Brett say, Ratner asleep at the monitor. Sort of no, like, I would say it was. A, I would say it was phone. kind of intense too. You think it's the kind of set intense. was a little intense? <laughs> I do. Yeah. I mean, not yeah. to joke, like the helicopter shot. I, I'm obsessed with, and I actually watch it all the time. But like, and it's just in your head for the rest of the movie, where you're like, "That's the road you'd have to go down to get out of here." Like, yes. it's so long, you're yes. not getting out right. of here. Right, like, it's upsetting. It looks hard in the summer. But can I say something? <laughs> uh, yes, please introduce our show. You this can is a do. podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce, baby. Couldn't really commit to Nicholson. No, uh, even though we've done him so many times on our podcast. He, like, he's one of the top ones. Probably going to do some ad reads I, I like it when you say, when you put podcast into a, a quote. I, oh, sure. I like it when you say, sometimes they bounce, baby. When I like, I don't like it when you, when you mess around with the baby part. Oh, I hear what you're saying. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Cause I feel like they're, right. I, yeah. Right. Cause sometimes I'll say like, and sometimes they, yeah, I, I can't even think of an example. Yeah, sometimes they get dragged to hell, baby. Right. You yes. don't like that. Okay. Noted. I don't like that. I'm, 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 look, I'm, I'm here as a, as a, a, no, a no, listener but, and as a fan and this, wow. look, but uh, also I'm here to, to note us. I have I have some thoughts. You have and, some thoughts. We're, yeah. we're dying to hear them. Look, it's a mini series on the films of Stanley Kubrick. It's called Pods Widecast. And today, a long overdue guest. Wait, what is it called? Pods Widecast. We're sorry. Pods. Okay, got it. Pods okay. Widecast. Okay. Pods you don't need to say okay. Why <laughs> say that's stupid? Cast. It's fine. It's, I think it's good. I think it's fine. It's what we settled on. I think it's good. <laughs> yeah. Our guest today, a dear friend, a gentleman, a scholar. Uh, truly a long overdue guest. I feel like in the early days of this pod, I remember very early on when we were like, could we get guests? I was like, I should ask my buddy Tim. And you were like, what's this fucking thing you have? And then some years later, wow. you started listening Dragging to the show. Him. And now I think you feel like, oh, I like harangued my way onto the show. You've spent the last couple of months being like, guys, I don't want you feeling like you have to have me. I, Am I going to ruin the episode? I have a couple house. I I wrote down like I, I took notes. You know, I wanted sure. to be. I wanted to be a good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guest. Our guest today, by the way, from Veep, Tim Simons, but also most importantly, I don't know if you know this banner. You put this together. Hmm. The voice of Butcher Boy, member of Shanks Gang. In Ralph Breaks the Internet. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Dude, hold on. Let me shake your hand. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> then has taken out his headphones. So nice to meet you. Wow. I don't think I knew wow. that. Look up, look up Butcher Boy. Just yeah, to remind yeah, yourself what Tim Big, okay, hold big, on. big scary like. guy with a beard. Yeah, fucking handlebar mustache, right? Handlebar mustache, yeah. but he still has value, even though he crashes yeah. in the race. Absolutely. Um, you should watch that movie again. I only saw it the one time. Yeah, it's good. I remember thinking it funny, yeah. Yeah. The... Uh, I, I wrote down some housekeeping notes that had nothing to do with The Shining, but and, and I and only because you brought it up now. Do it. I read us for. Fun. I think I have a lot. I think like a lot of people, mm -hmm. I thought that this show was, and I love you, Griffin. I love you too. 
I thought that this show Dear old was friends. a weekly podcast where every week you talked about the movie Blank Check. Many people thought that. And th- and every week it yeah. was just that. And, and that's as, the bit. We just never I'll say this give too. Up. I'll say this right, too. Right. In your defense, I believe the first time I ever asked you to do the show was in the first year when the premise literally was we only talk about Phantom Menace every week. So I definitely pitched it to you as I have a podcast with my friend and we talk about the Phantom Menace every week. I remember a phone call with you where you called Wait. me to say, I'm going to be in New York next week. And I went, oh, great. You should come on my podcast. And you went, I might actually be busy. And I was I, like, this phone I, call I started with you pitching to me that you're in town and would like to see me. <laughs> and the second I told you Phantom Menace thing. every week, you were like, the schedule's going to be tight. The schedule's going to be tight. But here's the thing. I, I, love, I, I love you. I love you too. But the idea of going on something that was blank check every single week is like a true, I ain't reading all that situation. Like I'm happy for you or I'm sorry that happened, but I'm not reading all that. And it was, so I was listening to the LA film podcast, which is like a podcast where they only talk about movies that were made or filmed in LA or about Los Angeles. And they talk about how it affected the city, whatever. And they mentioned what your show was about. And I was like, Holy shit, that sounds great. I had no idea. I always thought it was this. So that's when I started listening. Sure. And yes, and now I, I, now I, I, am, I am mournful that it has taken this long well, to well, be into it. Well, we all get there in, in due time. Thank you for coming on the show, Tim. Thank you. This show is very stupid. We're here to Thank talk you. about... Have you seen the movie Blank Check? No, I never have. It's not good. You know it was written by the man who wrote Save the Cat, right? Yeah, it's yes. like his yeah. actual... Yes, yes. Proof like, is in the pudding. Here that. you go. And it was, and we did an episode on it like a years ago just to complete the joke. It's or cool. A woman kind of is like attracted to a boy in it. Yeah. yeah oh. That's true. There is some like boy oh, woman cool. flirting in it. Yeah. It's uh, former MTV DJ VJ Duffy. Duffy. Duffy? Yes. Yes. Duffy is in it? Sure, Karen Dude, Duffy. It's, it's like 1994, the movie. Like Tone Loke, Duffy. <laughs> yeah. Michael Lerner, fresh off an Oscar nom. Yeah, Lerner just being like, sure, I'll give you 10 minutes. Sure. Like, <laughs> give me that check. You're <laughs> right. I got the check. But uh, Duffy plays this like. One yeah. of those walls of cathode ray TVs where it's yeah. like 12 of them, you know, where you're like, this is cool. More <laughs> TVs. Like, you know. Like, Duffy like full on kisses a, a boy, like a, a child. Yeah, he's, what is he, 10? Right. If that. Right. The movie That was the stinks. second volume of the book. Volume one, Save the Cat. Volume two, French the Kid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't French. They almost do. Okay. Lips are um, a little parted. Um, but uh, Blank Check, yeah, bad movie. Bad um, movie. I, the other housekeeping notes that I Oh, yeah, hit me. Is I just want to point out that uh, the coffee spill oh, from the draft day trailer is not in the final cut. Okay. No. Much okay. remarked okay. on. Well, uh, or look, we, we've mentioned here's, maybe. Here's you know, the thing. Not, okay, not, so not Tim, time. you and I have been friends now for almost a decade. A crazy thing to consider. I'm assuming you met on the set of Draft Day. Yes, we, we did. got to know each other, day. sure. Staying at the Homewood Suites outside of yes, Cleveland, Ohio. Beachwood, Ohio. We were in Beachwood, Ohio. Yes, and right. uh, we went to Cedar Point together yes. and rode roller coasters. The largest collection of oh, roller coasters Cedar in Point. America. Did you get in, you got all the good ones in? We, like, we, that's a there real was the one, spot. There was the one that got shut down that I think uh, I kind of didn't want to do anyway. We both didn't want to do it. We both didn't want to really do it. We accepted the out given to us by yes. mechanical failure. It was like one of those kind of like ones where it's like, it's all wood. Or no, good. it's the one where it's like, it goes all the way All the way up. up uh, locks you there in that position that. and then crazy drop and then spins right. you down it's, but it's, yeah, it's, it's not it's not as long yeah. of a thing same, it's, it's just David. really the one big drop and we both were like in line for this for like over an hour and we're like yep. 
we're gonna feel good when when we've done this, right? Yeah, like we'll feel, feel good, good an hour and, from now. And when they were like, it's gonna, it's broken, it'll be back up in twenty minutes. We were like, we're good. Yeah, we're good. We're all good. But we went on pretty much everything else. I got a horrible sunburn. But uh, the the opening scene, that movie all takes place on a day. Uh, draft the draft day. day. Famous, right. Famously, it is draft day. And we had already shot a bunch of other scenes. We've been working on the movie for like three or four weeks. Right. Yeah. And then uh, we went to Cedar Point and I showed up on set and I was bright red and they had to like <laughs> try to paint me pale on top of. I always think like, I mean, like they've got like movie magic. They can make me, you know. No, it looks really bad. I look, I, that one, it's that one scene. But all this to say, uh, the, the main big stars in the cast, and we had a, a very large cast of characters. Main big stars in the cast were all at the nice hotel in downtown Cleveland, Ohio. Yes. And everyone else they put in... The Homewood Suites. Right, in Beachwood, Ohio, a town that is pretty much uh, a series of car dealerships. Yes. And uh, I, I, the two of us, uh, Wade Williams. Yeah, Wade Williams was there. Yes. Uh, there Wade, were a couple other Wade, guys. Wade Williams, I know that guy. Some prison break. Prison break guy. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. God, he's awesome. Great yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. There were a couple other guys like us who were like in the whole movie, but aren't like the lead characters. Yeah. So whereas like someone like Pat Healy would show up and they'd put him in the shitty Beachwood hotel, but he'd only be there for two days. Right. But we were, we were there for like six to eight weeks. Yes. In the shitty Beachwood hotel. Yeah. And Tim oh, okay. and I immediately became fast friends. Wade Williams. Uh. Uh. At one point, he was like, "Hey, come down. I'll cook you steaks." And he like cooked me pan-seared Homewood Sweets steaks. It was like the most Wade William shit that's oh, ever really? happened. Like in his room, like in his hotel yeah, room, he yeah, just yeah. like had a frying pan. And yeah, was they've like, got yeah. like little kitchenettes right. there, you know what I mean? Was it good? It was great. I mean, yeah. the man knows how to do it. That guy rules. He's like, on one of these like, guys, like everything's like that. I mean, like, that he movie, didn't, he and didn't, it's, there wasn't like a green on the side. You know what I mean? Oh, it was sure. Just, like, it's you're just coming like, down your steak. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> coming down here for steak. <laughs> that movie as I, we talked about, like, it's the most bananas loaded cast. That's the thing. Beyond, like, the fact that, like, Chadwick Boseman is in it. Right. Just, yeah. like, a zillion character actors where and, you're, like, like, fucking, like, Puff Daddy's in it yeah, and exactly. Terry Crews. Fucking, yeah, um, you know, right. is it, I always forget, is it Chai or Chi McBride? I forget. I believe it's Chi McBride. Chi McBride and, like, yeah. fucking okay. Sam, Superman's in it. Uh, Tom, Tom Welling. Welling. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. He's, right? He's, uh, he's... Uh, uh, Sam Elliott's in it. Right. Sam Elliott's in it. We were just saying our cat. We forgot. Yeah, we completely... Her part's largely cut out, but yeah. But like, she's in it? Right. Um, The other little housekeeping note that I want to throw out there is that I was present. I was present. I witnessed. Okay. The The Ellen Burstyn thing. Oh, you saw Try Silence. I saw this happen. So it's... That's how it went down. It was just an absolute fatality in front of you. It is... It was like the only know, words scorpion, that I can... like freezing someone and then like punching them <laughs> into a thousand pieces or whatever. Yeah, like it was withering. Yeah, it hurt. It sounds withering. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, like I don't know that. I feel like you've done a good job in describing this. I movie. think so, but I can only describe how it felt inside. I can't describe what it felt like to everyone else in a loaded hair and makeup trailer. Yes, like every lo- seat filled. It was the kind of thing where you keep staring straight forward. And yeah. at this point, I know and love Griffin, and we've yes. gone to Cedar Point. Right, together. right. At this point, we like we pretty much spent all of our downtime together. Yes, and we we were in the same van every morning, every night uh-huh. on she set. Could... We were like chilling in the corner with each yep. other, like because we were both in this position where it was like, this is weird. This movie we're on. Yes, you were a much bigger deal than me. You'd done several seasons of Veep. No, no, the... no. I think this was after the. I mean, like the first season had 
maybe just come out. I think it was you had just done season two, but maybe season one was the only one that. Had oh aired. wait, no, maybe you're right. right. Yes, no, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, we've started. In you hadn't done 12. many films. No, no, we're no. with crazy big stars, and we're in there with like Dennis Leary. Right. You know, like what are we? You know, there was that one time where Dennis Leary was like, everybody's on their phone too much, and I was like, <laughs> fuck, awesome. All right, we're talking. Yeah, right. He was like, oh, I didn't know. I <laughs> think. <laughs> It literally turned into like a, a like a. I was about to say, like, Leary I special. would be like, "Tell me, Leary, come on, come yes. on." Yes, I, I would start doing me. that. I don't think that he was understanding. He was like, "Oh God, now I got to talk." Yeah, God, I what I could give, just go to like what? a coffee place with Leary. Oh, and like you know, someone's like, "You want like the maple coffee?" And he's just like, oh, <laughs> right. "Here we go." Let me You're, tell you something. I'm turning on the flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> It was, it was truly a, like, you know, on set, people used to talk to each other. Right. Everyone put their He's phones like, hey, down, and they were like, like, go oh. off. <laughs> um, but we, yes, we spent a tremendous amount of time together. We saw movies together. We 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 go see comedy shows together and stuff. Oh, that's right. I saw you perform. You we, saw me perform, we yeah. Saw, we saw Nick. Nick Thune. We saw Nick Thune. Yeah. But then at one point, I saw you perform, and yeah. you were great. You Thank did you. the, I still think about you flipping through the the names of, like, it's the most famous person Movie star you got, and, and it's like, no. Oh, no. oh, oh, the Space Jam. The Space Jam. Yes. Oh, that's yes. great. Yes. Classic yes. Griffin. Yes. So yes. I, all this is to say is that we were friends. Yeah, yeah. And Genuine I friends. pretended like I didn't know you after <laughs> she said that. It oh, was, like yes. you were. <laughs> I, yeah. It was, I, I can't. did not, yeah. I didn't want to call any attention right. to it. It was. I, I would say pretty much everyone else in the cast, I would co have considered a co-worker at the time. Uh -huh. And I was like, you and I were firmly friends. We were firmly friends, and I right. let you down. You she fucking... But, but and also, then Griffin I, like, looked over to you and was like, do you want to do my like Star Wars podcast? And you were like, I'm busy. Hey, man, you're so really busy. Yeah, I have children. Uh, <laughs> no, but it, when you'd come to New York, I'd go to LA, we, we'd still see each other and stuff. But uh, a bit that Tim has kept running for years is uh, when the trailer for Draft Day came out, mm -hmm. uh, my coffee spill, which was supposed to be my character introduction, was given like a prominent position in the trailer. Yes. And uh, a lot of my friends were like, holy shit, you're in the trailer. You have like a real part in this movie. And Tim uh, took, a, took it upon himself to correct every single person on Twitter mm. and let them know that the coffee drop is not in the film. Not in the film. And especially, it did not make the final cut of the film. Especially the when cut. the no, film comes have. out and underperforms at the box office and people make jokes about me being in the movie and their own, only frame of reference is the trailer they saw. Tim will always respond, I just need you to know the coffee drop is not in the final. I mean, it is coffee coffee. He's kept this up for nine years. Nine years. And especially what's great about it is that there is a draft every year. Yeah. So every year, again. somebody brings up the movie Draft Day, and I get to be like, just so just you know. Just so you know. Be beyond people bringing up the movie Draft Day, I actually think Draft Day has gone from sort of like mid-sized hit sure. to kind of like, oh, like a dad movie people sort of enjoy yeah. on cable to like genuine quasi-cult classic. W weirdly. I mean, Tim, yes. have you had the same experience that I have where every year when the Draft Day uh, residual checks come in, I am dumbfounded? Yeah. Because we were both paid, like, scale for that movie. Pretty much everyone was paid scale. 90% yeah. of the budget went to Costner. Uh -huh. And 5% went to the other six big-name actors. Were you there when Langella rapped? When Frank Langella rapped? <sighs> rapped? Fuck. Frank Langella, famous. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. W-R-A-P. Rap. Oh, 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 yes, yes. I talk about this okay, all the time. That's, okay, that's less interesting. Took though. the sunglasses okay. off. So, yeah, well, I, I think you've told this story. Langella wears sunglasses the entire film. Yeah. He says he took that from some team owner he saw in interviews who was wearing sunglasses in the interview. He went, that's an interesting character choice. 
And he wore the sunglasses on, offset, in between takes, lunch, trailer, whatever, 100% of the time. And then when they wrapped and they went, that's a picture wrap on Frank Langella, he very dramatically, finger on each arm, like took the sunglasses off as if it was like, as if if you were going to be like, wait, you were Frank Langella the whole time. time. You're not Cleveland Brown, Mr. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Plucked them off his face and revealed himself in the room. He plucked them off his face and then he went like this. He like put his hands on either side of his face. Yes. And then took a bow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what did Leary do when he quit, when he rapped? He went, you know the fucking thing about rapping? Black coffee. Okay? Black coffee. Black, okay? Black, I just want black coffee. coffee. 12 ounces. Black coffee. Right, what a weird fucking experience. Right now as I yeah. Leary. Sorry. It's, yeah. No, it's yeah. fine. I love Everything this. about this that This is movie. a podcast about the films of Ivan Reitman. Yeah. Hey, you know who's the guy that loves to wear sunglasses indoors? Jack, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. He does do that. Yeah. Although not in The Shining, but in general. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. I have never looked up to, I want this story to be true so badly mm, that what? I don't look it up. Okay. But apparently he has been asked not to go back to the Staples Center because he spilled homemade chili on the court. <laughs> <laughs> and it like took, delayed the game because they had to clean up the homemade chili that he brought in. I believe, and, I believe that is an onion story that took on in life. <laughs> really? <laughs> can't be real no i mean like there are pictures of him with like a tupperware and some chili on the floor and he's going yeah. like oh well right. you know but i mean like i don't want it to not be true so i, also, I, then I, I won't, will say I this too okay. i feel like in recent years when he has been captured at the staple center he's sitting higher up in the bleachers you never see him courtside anymore I think he's generally withdrawn from like public figure yes. Jack Nicholson yes. life yes. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to, I, I want to, my buddy Matt, uh, it, this is his story. Um, but he, at one point was, uh, he was in his drive, he was driving in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and he like, you know, the cars at a stoplight were a little bit off kilter. So he's driving his driver's window is sort of right next to the passenger back window. Uh, okay. like a, a town car. Sure. So it's a little bit off kilter. The windows roll down and he looks over and it's Jack Nicholson. And he gives him the little chin up nod. He just goes, he just sees him and goes like that. And Jack Nicholson, they make eye contact, gives him the little, the little nod. Jack Nicholson looks forward and then the window goes up. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even reflexively give him the little nod back and then put the window up. He just turned, and then the window went up. God bless him. Wow. Cool guy. Cool guy. He's done so many Nicholsons. I was going to yeah. look at the filmography to try and but weird shake ones. I mean, obviously, out. four James Hope Brooks movies. Yeah, so I was just going to write that. Mars gonna... Attacks Batman. You see, is a lot of them, right? Yeah. But you're right. Like, we've never done, like, Chinatown or Cuckoo's right. Nest or, you know, uh, Easy Rider or, like, yeah. famous Nicholson Which is of Eastwick. Which is of Eastwick. Uh, I feel like the, but yeah, like terms of endearment, right. obviously. But wait, Riches of Eastwick is a big one, though. Yeah, broadcast yeah. news, Batman, Mars Attacks. Yeah, that's it, I guess. But that's a lot. You know, terms of endearment. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's I mean, got to give as good as it gets. Somebody's well, got to give. 
Right. Nancy. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Don't yeah. forget that. No, not at all. Uh, but it is this run. I mean, we we haven't sort of talked about like the initial golden age run of Nicholson, which I would say is like uh I'd, I'd say Easy Rider to Shining Pretty is much. the first sort of like because then I'd argue the James L. Brooks period when, is like a transitional Terms stage of in Endearment his is three years after this. Yes. And that obviously he's like you know, kind of flabby and a right. like the and that was like against type at that point. It was and like, even, oh, look at Nicholson kind of like letting loose here. Reds yeah. is 81. Reds is 82, 81. Yeah. yeah. But that's him also being like, I'll be a supporting actor in your movie. Yeah. I'll be a character actor. Post I'll let my clout in a different way. Postman always rings rings twice is the next year. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that, maybe that's yeah, a that good feels cut like off. a transitional point. You know, before yeah. then it's all basically you know, starring transformative starring roles. Easy rider, five easy pieces, carnal knowledge. King of Marvin Gardens, Last Detail, Chinatown, Tommy, that's a small role. Sure. Uh, Which we found out was meant to be Christopher Lee. Yeah. Uh, the Passenger, The Fortune, one of his rare bombs, Cuckoo's Nest, Missouri Breaks, Things Are Getting Weird, Last right. Tycoon, Things Aren't Going So Great, <laughs> Going South, which he directs. Right. And doesn't do great. So The Shining's actually a bit of a bounce back for sure. him. It's been like a few years since like Cuckoo's Nest, which was his last like massive hit. I forget who it is, but someone who worked with him I had a story about like uh, asking him how they thought the movie was going to do. Someone who was in a movie with Nicholson in the 80s or 90s, a, a supporting actor. And he said like, I don't make movies, I make classics. Hey. And it is one of those things where even when you count the bombs or like the weirdo picks in that run, yeah. you're just like, by 1980, how many iconic Hall of Fame Mount Rushmore movies with equally iconic Mount Rushmore Hall of Fame performances does this guy have under his belt? And even if it was only like a Burt Reynolds run where then it's like, okay, and then it's diminishing returns with a few rare upticks. It's like, you no, know, pretty much until he retires. Yeah. The highest tier of Nicholson movies is just kind of unreal. And this- Are you a Jack fan, Tim? Uh-huh. You're a Jack fan? How do you feel I about am. Jack? And I, one of the things, I have a very damaging take mm -hmm. uh, about that this movie that i don't i don't want to bring up till later okay. because I, I i came here to do nothing but praise this movie and these performances but one of the things that i love about his performance in this movie there is a lot of the stuff it's almost like he invented the cliche of so many of the things that he does there's Got a it. moment where yeah. he's it's the second time that he's going back to the bar and i think he's just gotten in a fight with wendy and he's doing like a lot of physical Big physical. Is movements. that when he does the sort of, I got two 20s and two 10? Like he's got that whole monologue he get, delivers. It's actually, it's in the walk. It's in, okay, it's sure, in the sure, walk sure. down the mm -hmm. hallway where he's just like, it's like he's just silently like waving his arms. Right. And in the hands of like a lesser actor, that just becomes like a weird cliche of playing a crazy guy. But yeah. he has a way of, of making that real of having that come from a real place and feel grounded even though it i don't know like i i think this performance of his is incredible yeah and uh and there are so many opportunities for it to have been wrong or in the hands of a and lesser actor it's goes stephen king's big complaint it, or one of his many complaints is like the minute you see that guy you're like that guy's gonna kill his wife and kids <laughs> like, i actually <laughs> like yours, king's like it's supposed to be a descent into madness this guy seems scary for i also know one. a lot of people who share that opinion yeah. and like big horror fans where they're like that's the fundamental issue with that movie is that the first hour doesn't work because you know he's crazy and you're waiting for it to happen i actually 
weirdly, I would have agreed with that until I rewatched it this time. And one of the first things that I made a note of yeah. was that in that scene where he's talking to the guys, I mean, like, yeah, it's like a little when weird. When he's in the interview. like, that's intriguing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just remember coming out of that scene thinking, wow, they really make him sort of kind of affable and, and likable. Like, and you understand it's why. It's, it's also fascinating how well they're able to dampen his charisma in a way where he's yeah, compelling right, right, to watch. Right. He's not being like you're used to smoothie. the animalistic yes. sort right, of yeah, like, yeah, like it's, right. it's not like Easy Rider where you're like I love this guy. Like yeah. Right, right. Like it, it does Cougar's feel like he's submitting to the Kubrick house style and it's as much as I understand that complaint against his casting it's like but it it's so greatly outweighed by the stuff he does in the last half of the movie his stuff no one else could pull off. Yeah. And especially no other like movie star of that stature. And your point is interesting, Tim, because it's like, in a way, this kind of is his scent of a woman, right? Where it's like, this is the performance where the guy sort of codifies all of his tricks and ticks yes. into, uh, you know, such definitive performance that's all kind of like bombast and whatever. Yes. But Pacino has a hard time coming back out after that. Right, right. It feels like it, even though Pacino made fun movies in the nineties, yeah. right? He it does. It's like he uncorked something and he right. can't. You and know, it, it's like, it's you know, more like, rare. He that knows he can do that now, and he's yeah. just kind of like he's I like just fucking do that. All of a sudden, he's like trying to push a rope, and it's like right. that doesn't work. <laughs> like the whole thing in Heat, where he's like, rope. I played the guy like he's on coke, and I'm like, you you did that well. I don't. Right. I'm not saying it's a bad performance, but it kind of feels like. Every movie he walked into, he's like, I feel like this guy's on coke. He's yeah. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, but it's I like, I, I can't play 100% normal again. Like, he had to justify. Until, like, insomnia. That's what's so yeah. interesting about insomnia. He's like, I feel like this guy's on anti-coke or whatever. Wait, wait, wait. But then should, I, he, should I just do the, the, the yes, awful yes, take yes, right yeah, away? No, say, 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 what say, is In it? that second scene at the, so he oh, talks the, the bars, to, like, where the Joe big Turkle. party is happening. Yes. He's like, I want to know who's buying my drinks. Right, because the first bar scene, it's empty. The second yeah. bar yes, scene, the second room is full. Right. His performance in that second scene is about one half of a percent away from an I think you should leave Tim Robinson oh, performance. Oh, I mean, it my, is... Yeah. It is madness. And, and what, I, what, I, what I don't, why, the reason I almost don't want to say that is because I don't want, it almost affects the rest of the movie because you then start seeing, oh no, this is a Tim Robbins <laughs> well, performance. It, I, well, I'll say this. I think it's, it's the enunciation, right? Like, which obviously is partly Kubrick being like, and take 87. And like, yeah. Nicholas is probably just like, I don't know, should I hit this try differently? Like, what the right. fuck does this guy want? Right, right. Um, <laughs> But, like, obviously, that's what Robinson is so good at, and I think you should leave or whatever, like, where he just says a sentence where you're like, I never would imagine someone saying this sentence this Yes, way. but yeah. he's, like, he's kind of doing that. He's like, yeah, I would like a drink. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I would like... But that's but why I it's don't... fascinating that he gives great, subdued performances after this, because you do feel like if if he's... If he successfully uncorks this in this movie, mm-hmm. the temptation to just, like, I can do that. I'm watching you guys will right let now. me get away with You'll it. You'll let me go this big? Sure, right, yeah, yeah. Like, right, right. Why don't I just lean on that forever now? Right. right. I can do that. They... Uh, I'm watching it. And you're right. You're. I mean, like, he's got this weird, like, crazy guy swagger. He's kind of playing with his jacket yeah. in this kind of, like, <laughs> you know, way. Yes, like, uh, that, if you look at all the other scenes, you can kind of see it a little bit. And I, and I don't, I almost don't, I don't want to uncork this because I don't want this to come across as, 
me denigrating their performance because I think it's amazing. And, and this is going to tie into my general thought about this entire thing is that low key MVP of this movie is Shelley Duvall. Agreed. Oh, uh, 100%. Absolutely. And yeah. one of the things that I love about that first scene, like the why I disagree with the take of, oh, he's, he's not the right, it's a descent into madness. Mm-hmm. Those two scenes back and forth of Shelley Duvall at the house with Danny mm-hmm. and him being interviewed for the job. Yeah. You not only understand like why these guys would kind of, you understand why he's the guy who's in a position to take a job like this. So he's not like a guy that's going to take over the world. Right. You also understand why they would have hired him because he's charming and affable enough. And you also understand like he has uh, like the domestic violence undertones of yes. this movie that really stuck out. And I want to be gentle in the way that I talk about this because obviously, yes. It, so, it's loaded with the history of this film and everything. Yes, yeah, yeah. it is, you understand the c- character-wise, you understand why the wife is with him. Like you understand yeah. why Just, he, when he says, I'm sorry, I won't do this again, why she believes him. 100%. And you also see that underlying thing, that violence in him. And you see her giving like these rehearsed things of like, you know, and, and he did a great job and it's been five months and you're like, oh no. The whole speech she gives about like, you know, you know, it's a thing oh. you do a hundred times. Or you, you know, you grab your kid's arm or whatever. It's And you almost believe it. And then you're almost just like completely so sad about, you know, but like, that's the thing, like. King obviously writes this novel. It's about himself. It's about like a frustrated academic who's an mm-hmm. alcoholic who's, you know, can't get ahead and he slowly goes mad. And so then he sees this movie and he's like, well, I'm not this fucking guy. You know, right. like that's so much ob- of the undertone of King's objection to this movie. Yeah. The, the other part of it, too, is that like King has said, like, my father was like a man with rage issues right. and it could be prone to violence. And like when I became a father, I was worried about that within myself. And like the being a new parent thing where suddenly you find yourself having so much animosity at this child because they won't go to bed or finish their dinner or whatever. Yeah. Like the level of rage you uncork there. And you're that afraid of that. Scared like, seeing the shadows of his father in that. And this book is written from the perspective of a man who is like come to terms with that, developed a healthy relationship to his children, has uh, come to terms with his own like history and all of that sort of shit, his father and everything. But I think it scares him to see this movie where it's like, oh, this guy's like a bomb waiting to go off. Yeah. Right. But then that's the thing. It's like, I don't watch this movie and think like, oh, he's like a psycho who's going to go crazy. But you do think like, oh, this is a guy who's bottled so much up. Yes. And in that interview scene, he's a little charming. And he answers the questions the right way. Yeah. And also, I love about that interview scene. And again, I do think this is what Kubrick gets out of doing 100 takes of boring dialogue. Like, suddenly everything sounds stilted in this really cool way. Like, you get the sense that they're just like, can we get this over with? We need to leave this hotel. Yeah. Like, you know, who fucking cares? Like, right. they don't really care if this guy's going to chop up his family. You know, like, they t- the way they talk about it, where they're like, ah, it was an unfortunate incident. You know, like, it's He almost much- chuckles. The guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. what's he's his like, name? He chuckles. He's like, well... He- he's like, my predecessor. I mean, you know. <laughs> he, yeah. um, he killed his family. Like It's it- just, like, you just think, like, Everyone is just trying to ignore the thing that you, you know, the elephant in the room. And that's how you feel about Shelley Duvall. Like, and that, and that, yeah. that's just how I feel about all of it. When everything, it should feel natural that everything goes to shit. Another thing about the Shelley yeah, Duvall But also it's ghosts. Yes, yes, ghosts. Which the is hostess. Kubrick's take. He's yeah. like, it's ghosts. Yeah. 
like, because that's why he, I don't talk about it, but he gets so resistant to the king thing of like, well, this is a metaphor. And he's like, that's too depressing. Ghosts. It's about <laughs> what if ghosts drove you crazy? Like, there's which this, is interesting. Yeah. There's this fascinating thing that JJ, our researcher, pulled up. Okay. This like early conversations between King and Kubrick. And I mean, we could dig into this more, but it was like off of Barry Lyndon was a flop. And he's made several movies now that were like so huge and unwieldy and whatever that he was like, I need like kind of a, a, a commercial genre play. Right. And I, I the challenge of can I make the scariest movie of all time? Like that's how to make myself excited about this. He reads through a bunch of horror books until he finds The Shining, and that's the one. There's this great anecdote from, like, his secretary at the time, sure, where I she said she it. kept on delivering oh, the, stacks of the, different... The, the books hitting the wall, right? right. She'd yeah, deliver yeah. stacks, like, just get me all the bestseller horror novels, and every 10 minutes she'd hear a book hit the wall, right? Like, he'd, like, read it, and they'd be like, this is trash, and would throw it against the wall into the garbage. And then one day she didn't hear it happen for, like, two hours. She was like, fuck, that's a good sign. She opens I mean, the door. I mean, those books and his, are page turners. Yeah. Is buried deep in The Shining, and she's like, I think the search is over. But he reaches out. Can you? Do you know the quote I'm talking about? I don't, but I can start looking at the dossier. Uh, Kubrick reaches out to a King and says he like, wants to do this, and he's like, there's something kind of sweet and like uh, uh, poetic, uh, optimistic about the, the ending, that, that, that ghosts are real, that there's like a thing. Yes, right. Uh, yeah, 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 right. And he's like, like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's just kind of sweet like the, to consider that there is like an afterlife. Like, you're, you're, all right, let me get you yes, the quote because yes. it is really good, right? Like, King obviously calls up Stanley Kubrick. I mean, sorry, Kubrick calls up King, and King is still, he's famous, but he's like, Jesus Christ, Stanley mm -hmm. Kubrick's on yeah. the phone. Like, uh, you know, he's so flattered. And King, uh, the first thing Kubrick says is, the whole idea of a ghost is optimistic, isn't it? And King is like, huh, what are you talking about? And he says, well, the concept of a ghost presupposes life after death. That's a cheerful concept, isn't it? And King is silent and then says, but what about hell? And Stanley Kubrick is just quiet and then says, I don't believe in hell. And uh, King's like, okay. Like, but like, it's just that, like, the, like Kubrick is not whatever like engaging with He's whatever selectively like, yeah like whatever yeah. personal like demons are fueling king is like king is like ghosts are like no those are the things that haunt you that reflect you know the traumas of your life and he's like no i don't think about that is that nice that we kept Isn't like, it keep nice on picking around like eternally giving a blowjob wearing a bear costume that's uh, nice that's like, nice <laughs> like you watch this movie and you know my takeaway is not really like Stanley Kubrick thinks ghosts are nice no it's <laughs> like so i don't really know it's a funny anecdote. this movie's yeah it's it's so bizarre it's one of those things where like even watching this i i felt the like oh, am i like kind of dreading doing this episode just because it is one of the most like chewed upon movies ever you know and people who go so far in different directions with it in terms of like what they want it to reflect or what they choose to focus on and everything i started what so the things that i did to prepare were i watched the movie a few times i started watching the stephen king Shining miniseries. Yeah, with Stephen Weber. I've never yeah. watched it before. I bought what is apparently like clearly a bootleg copy off of eBay. Right. It's weirdly hard to find these days. And it, yeah. uh, it, it's not great. Elliot Gould's in it. Really playing? He home. plays uh, the guy, the boss guy. Right. Right. And oh, he, really? And he's like really aggressive of like, oh. I cannot believe that that the the board has decided to entrust this beautiful historic hotel to an alcoholic. I mean, it's like the most 
Um, it's very, it's not great. And they use the original hotel that like right. King stayed in that he based it on, yes. not this like magnificent, scary fucking right. lodge that Kubrick finds. And Ben, you know, the whole thing is like that miniseries was Stephen King being like, okay, time to roll up my sleeves and show you folks the real Shining. It's like, you've seen, it's like six hours long though. Like it's, it's, yeah, like, it's no, the I didn't whole watch book. Yeah. And it was on ABC. So, like, how scary right. can it be? And it's like, Andrew right? McCarthy, like, which feels like him overcorrecting this. Like, I want you to not believe this guy could go crazy at the beginning of the film. Yes. And you're like, but is Andrew McCarthy ever going to be able to get to Jack Heights by wait, the end? Is it McCarthy or I thought it was no, Steve, it's, it's Stephen Weber. Stephen Weber. Oh, it's Stephen Weber. Weber. Jesus yeah. Christ. Why was Rebecca DeMornay plays. Rebecca DeMornay yeah. is, is, is Wendy. Weird. Melvin Ben Peebles plays Dick Halloran. Yeah. Right. Um, and let's see, Pat Hingle apparently is in it. Commissioner Gordon himself. Tony wow. is actually like, there is like a, a floating teenage Tony who talks oh, to him. And you Tony, like see him. You see him. And also Tony is a, is like, uh, is seems to be a little bit more of a, of a figure that it, like Rebecca Dorm, De Mornay will ask, Hey, uh, how is the job interview going? And the kid will be like, it's going good. He's going to get the job. Oh, he's like a, sort of seer. Like He's a, like a right. seer and yeah, right, the right. mom knows to ask and is like, oh, that's great. You know, um, uh, but I also started watching Room 237. Sure, sure. And documentary, at, people know it probably about yeah. shining obsessives yes. and conspiracy theories yes. and all that. It's and a movie about how many different ways this movie can be read. But and it's also just about with, that obsessive mindset in general. Yes. It's trying to it's be. It's like right. proto-QAnon. I guess so. I don't know. A little. It yeah. has. I how like you can dig so deep that you're like in an entirely new hole. If I could just vindicate yes. myself quickly, Andrew McCarthy was in the American remake of The Kingdom, which I think was also for ABC, the Lars von Trier, and Kingdom. also right Stephen King. I just confused those two projects. That's Go on. So as I was watching it, I I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Like it's I, f- I do feel like it's going to be hard to do this episode because this is one of like this is well. Well, well worn area. Yeah. But as I was watching it, I was like, this seems maybe a lot more, this seems a lot less complicated than people are making it. If you just look at it from like a domestic violence, but also at one, and like maybe this is me oversimplifying it. But he, the first time he's at the bar, he says, I'd sell my soul for a glass of beer. Yeah. And then a bartender appears and gives him a drink. It's like, I don't know, maybe it's the fucking devil. Like, I don't, like, it seems so direct that it's like. Look, the whole reason I think that people obsess over this movie and Kubrick movies in general, and I like Stanley Kubrick, mm-hmm. is that every single scene looks so magnificent yeah. in its blocking yeah. and staging that you're like, this is a, this has to mean something. Right. Yeah. Which like, it's not like Stanley Kubrick's just like, yeah, and I'll point the camera over there. It looks nice. Like, obviously he's thinking a lot about the, like when I think of room 237 and the way the band, the, the, you know, the bands around the bathtub, mm. the way everything's perfectly like set. It's so indelible. You know, when you think about the girls yeah. standing there and then the cuts to them being, you know, it's all beautiful. Yeah. But then you like watch room 237. They're like, I think it's about the moon landing. Why? Well, the kid wears like a moon sweater and you're like, right. uh-huh. Anything else? <laughs> no. Like, I think it's about like, it's on an Indian burial ground. Oh, is that because someone says that? And then there's like no, a fucking there's like can, a label, an Indian barrel. Right. Uh, on, Indian a, on a can of food in the background. And then I'm like, yeah. so what do you mean? And they're like, well, it's like, you know, they angered the Indian, you know, burial ground. And, and I'm like, yeah, July, the premise of 80 horror movies. Right. Fine. Like, right. I don't yeah. mind that. That's fine. Like, and I, I don't also, really care what is happening here. I'll say this too. Like, Nope just came out. A movie that 
all three of us like Ben. You haven't seen it yet. Not yet. But there's like such... supposed to say nope. Sorry. Yeah, you should have said nope. Okay, to track we'll to Christ. Uh, have you learned nothing? Have you ever listened to this show? Ben, ben you should have said no. Nope you should have said no nope. to that question. Fuck. The, the the industry around like the second nope is released, every single outlet has their all the Easter eggs decoding nope. Sure, what the, the way the modern right. internet and even to you these watch things, the movie, right. you're immediately like, I guess I got to read some articles Dreams. on this. You texted us, I feel like, and we had a, a, our our blank dough thread as well. We're just sort of like, what are the good note pieces you guys have read? What are the things? And, and, and I think you get to a point where people like, like and, and I think successfully, but like Peel, Shyamalan at times, certainly, Ari Aster to a degree, you have filmmakers now who are sort of consciously constructing movies like this, mm-hmm. where they're like, I know the expectations going into my movies are that people are going to look to do that work to crack the puzzle. So why not put that many weird sort of puzzle pieces in there? Whereas I think Kubrick was not intentionally like leaving a trail yeah. of breadcrumbs for people to. Maybe he thinks that's interesting. The Indian. I just, sure. I'm just sort of like, that's fine. That's a totally fine read. Yeah. It just doesn't strike me as something where I'm like, throw everything else away. Right. From yeah. minute one, I'm only thinking about Indian burial grounds or, you know, like where I'm like, you know, it's fun to read into movies. I love that. That's I do fine. too. It's great. It also doesn't mean that it's true. Right. right. And yeah. it becomes this weird, right, this weird sort of thing of like, no, we have to investigate the secret message the director was leaving yes. for us. And I feel like most of the time when directors get into like Lynch or Kubrick or yeah. like who are people obsess over the most, they're kind of like, what do you think? And you're like, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, interesting. I like that, right? You know, like or like, yeah. You, know, you can, you should think what you think. Like, it's rare that like Lynch should just be like, wrong. Mulholland Drive's not about that. Right. Think again. The, the secret message part of it is the interesting part to me because people watch this movie. Not everyone, but so many people watch this film, going like, "What's the thing I'm supposed to decode here?" Yeah, right. And it's not just like, "What is the secret meaning of this film?" But they treat it almost like it's like a fucking Dan Brown. You know, like, what is the puzzle left by the Knights Templar to uncover a conspiracy? Obviously, it's compelling to fold this conspiracy theory moon landing shit into it and right. be like, he was, you know, he's telling it's us a confession. Like, yeah, it's a confession, yeah. you know, like, that's cute. Um, but it's cute. Uh, I've that's never really gone beyond response. that, beyond the fact that he wears I, a fucking moon. <laughs> right? Is that, that's the main I, I thing. Think, right? To your point, what you're saying, Tim, it's like I started watching the movie feeling daunted by like, how the fuck are we going to talk about this? And then I just watched the movie. I'm like, oh, I can oh. just talk about the movie. Talk I just about the watched. movie because it's fucking great. Right? We can, we can just not feel the burden of fucking everything this movie culturally yes. represents. The, right. The, the other thing apparently is that uh, the moon is 237,000 miles away from the right. Earth, this which shit. it actually is, and it's like 238. Yeah, I guess it's I mean, by enough. the end of this, we're all going to be like, oh, it's about the moon. Oh, it's, it's about the moon. Moony movie. Yeah. Uh, I, anyway. I want to throw this out, and it's it's related to what we're talking about. And I do, I recognize the irony that I have come on a, a podcast, which is like a, you know, a, a talky medium. One of the talkiest. I'm fucking so sick of talking. Yes. As, 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 as a performer, I guess, I'm sick of talking. And I am sick of... Uh, the like the the t- like the take industrial com- this is very stupid the take industrial complex surrounding television and movies where like the thing that always comes to mind is the last episode of Mad Men aired mm-hmm. I watched it I enjoyed it sure and then the next day and even later that night 
You have 1,500 articles where every person involved in the production tells you exactly what it means. Right. right. Yeah, it became and, more... Yeah. And so, the overall history being published three hours after the thing is released. Yes. Yes. And so there is that part of me where I, as much as I have both read and enjoyed some of those and also participated in some of those as a performer... When I, one thing that was really exciting about Nope, and one of the reasons that I wrote to you guys to be like, what do you guys have on this? Is because I didn't want, really want somebody to tell me what it was. I just wanted to read people right. being excited about it. I right. wanted yeah. to, like, that was one of the things I loved about Nope. And so yes. it was like one of those times where I, a rare time where I really wanted to hear. I really wanted to hear more about what people thought about it. But that's like, I mean, the thing that's, so exciting about Peel is that he's making movies at such a high level mm -hmm. that are like super commercial mainstream in the sense that like you put his name on a poster and it's going to open big and everyone's going to see it and engage with it. And part yeah. of the experience is that people know I'm going to see this movie and I'm going to need to talk about it afterwards. Yeah. And that people want to do the fucking work on his movies, that there's that kind of like challenge to them where it's just the best thing and I had this thing, nope, and I had this I, us opening weekend where it's like people spill out of the theater really slowly. Mm. And then they hang around outside and they're like, so what do you think that was? Mm. And it just feels like we so rarely get that rather than the sort of pre-digested take. Yeah. Here's how you're supposed to process this thing. Yeah. And this movie is such a, dare I say it, Rosetta Stone for engaging with movies in that kind of way. But 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 such an extreme example of it getting like gamified. And I think room 237 where people were sort of saying like, oh, are you guys going to do a Patreon episode on that? It's like, no, just watch that movie. We don't need to do an episode on that movie. And I think the bigger we thought point, about it. But right. It's right. sort of like, what are we going to say? What are we going to yeah. say? Yeah. Right. But the bigger point of that movie, I think, is almost like about the weird relationship so many different people will have to this movie in so many different ways rather than trying to solve that film. But they, people do it with like, you know, 2001 obviously is one of those like, wait, what's the meaning of that? What was happening at the end there? Obviously, Eyes Wide Shut has become this thing where people are like, he's telling us about like Jeffrey Epstein and like Hollywood sex abuse. This and, weird like, Kubrick so dark the con of man, every film is like, it's this very like QAnon way of approaching things yeah. where it's like, the confession is right in front of our eyes and we need to decode it. And everything has to be some like buried message left to be discovered. Buried secret. Buried secret of M. Night Shyamalan. They, I, this happened recently where like a, a sort of an ex-family member has been texting. Long story short, it turns out that this, this person has kind of gotten some QAnon shit. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. And sure, is texting... Sure, sure someone still in the family some some threads or some who checked yes. this video out or whatever right they texted they were like you know uh you know here's all this crazy stuff that happens in hollywood and i mean you know tim has mentioned that hollywood's crazy before and i was like yeah yeah it's a little crazy yeah, yeah. but why didn't you think of the 15,000 other fucking reasons it could right, be an insane right. place to work before we harvest children for adrenochrome right, or just, whatever the just fuck. Say, just admit it. Just admit you, like that you harvest children for adrenochrome. Admit whatever it. it makes your life so much easier. That's what you make your film stock out of, probably. Something like that. That's yeah. what you're doing. It's hard to find. Adrenochrome. Wait a second. The clues were there the whole time. They were. Saying. And honestly, yeah. like, I, like, Dr. Sleep is kind of about 
Yeah, like Doctor Sleep, the sequel to, yeah, yeah. which I feel like is actually a better movie than maybe people are willing to give good it credit for. I think for. the movie, good movie. We're, we're all fans Rewatching this made me even appreciate Doctor and, Sleep And the director's more. cut is... We are doing that on Patreon. Oh, you are? Okay. I actually haven't seen the director's cut, but I will have to check it out because I really liked it. But that is like, guys, like that's just like part of like uh, that's just part of that movie. Like trying to remember now. Like, yeah, they're just like they're trying to get the gas from the kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, guys, if we were really doing that, do you think we'd I don't know. You think we leave hints in movies about yeah. it? Right. It is yeah. fascinating, sure, sure, sure. though. Right. The hints part of it is always what confuses me, where you're like, you think these people have these secrets that they have to hold on to their dying day, but yet they leave these hints out in public yes. to sort of like taunt everyone into like, you'll never fucking catch me. And the weirdness of the Kubrick thing where so much of it is that like, he doesn't do press. There's sure. years in between the films. He's got such a he lives in like a castle in England control like, over yeah. his movies he's so mysterious that people just are going like every one of his movies is him revealing the secrets that he can't directly speak about the weird subcultures conspiracies and mysteries that he's gotten too close to where it's like you think he's tied to all of this He's like the one man link between every secret society, every like American ill, you know? And it's just like, I don't know, he just might be a guy. All right, let me give you some context. While, while, right. while, you know, yeah. we might as well actually get on to, right, researched evidence of sure. Kubrick's thinking. Yes. Um, Post Barry Lyndon, as you say, Kubrick doesn't know what to do with himself. Mm-hmm. The movie's not exactly a colossal hit, although it does get Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like you say, he's just reading. He's reading, pulling anything he can find, newspapers, magazines, anything. Um, Patty Shayefsky approached him. To do network. To direct network, which is an, in, uh, an interesting what if. Yeah. Because I feel like Lumet is a master, but Lumet is the master of, like, I'll mold myself to whatever this project is. I do all kinds of different stuff. I like, mean, in the opening credits for that movie, like, it's... Patty Chayefsky's network. Right. And I remember people at the time asked Lumet, like, why did you do that? And he's like, well, he's like the major author of this film. I'm not going to, I just directed it. I mean, look, that's what's so good about Lumet. Like, he was so generous about it where he was just like, I'm just serving this script. You say Lumet and you Lumet. say Lumet. I say Lumet. I say Lumet. It is Lumet. I think I say Lumet as yeah. like a matter of. Oh, like, yeah. I, it, it, I do it I've all been the time. thinking I, okay. It's Sydney Lumet, right? It's Sydney Lumet. read the, yeah. the Lumet book. It's the, incredible. The best. It's, I, I love that. The he's number just one like, best book on movies. Here's my, here's how to make movies. Don't forget to take a nap at lunch. Everything it's about it's so practical. I, I avoided reading that book for years because I thought it was going to be a, like a lot of director books where they're like, let me take you through my filmography. And I was like, I should watch more of his movies before I read right. that book. And then one day I cracked it open and it's obviously more just that. It's just yeah. him being like, let me tell you about what it is like to make a movie. Every element you have to balance. Like, right. And he mixes in some anecdotes. I mean, yeah. you must be obsessed with this book. Like, yeah. It's like your favorite, yes. right? Yes, yes. But, but there's, like, there's every type of thing. Like he talks about like taking a nap I mean, it's like that, the fucking... Talking to actors. The like, Michael Caine. Yeah. Uh, like. Teaching acting, especially yeah. that was then transcribed into the book, where it's just like, okay, here's what you should eat. Right, yeah. Or yeah. not eat. Yeah. You know, that sort of shit. Yeah, you don't want to um, turn up to set on with, like, bacon in your stomach right. or whatever. And then Lumet will, like, talk about shit where he's like, I made this movie Daniel about a suicidal guy, so my big choice was, like, never show the sky. Yeah. So right. it feels really claustrophobic. And like save it until the end of the movie where his world finally opens up. And you're like, that's smart filmmaking. That's What's also smart filmmaking is like, you know, have a banana in the morning. Right. <laughs> <Or whatever. laughs> right. Always have a pocket banana. 
Uh, the other thing that's amazing about that book is that Lumet like never worked in Hollywood. Like that's why he's the greatest ever. Like yep. he says, like I shot like one movie in L.A. Like, right. I always just work on location. Or but it's like I fucked this one up. Here's what I learned about what I, I, I did wrong too. Yeah. And when he's so mean about some actor, but he won't name him, and you're like, Sydney, yeah. you class act. Anyway, uh, Kubrick considered for network, liked the script, but Chayefsky eventually is like, you shouldn't do it. We're two control freaks. It won't. It's work. too tight. We'll seems clash. very right. correct. Yep. He reads The Shining. Mm-hmm. He's consumed by it. He had seen Carrie, mm-hmm. but otherwise has no experience with Stephen King and not read Stephen King's books or anything. Look, in this research, there's a lot of him being kind of like, you know, a little passive aggressive about Stephen King or a little like backhand complimenty where he's like, Stephen's, you know, ingenuity lies in construction of the story. I don't think he's very interested in writing himself or whatever. You know, like... Yeah, there's that quote He, he keeps I saw sort of saying, him. like, look, he's a little trashy, but he... He puts, he, like, he every idea he has on the yarn. page without right. editing, which makes for a compelling read, but doesn't make for a compelling movie. But I also think Kubrick's whole thing was, like, a movie's not about what it's about. It's about how it's about it. Sure. So he's just, like, Kubrick lays out a really good plot. Uh, King, rather. Right, yeah, yeah. He he likes- a really good plot, really good elements. I can make whatever movie I want with that as a blueprint. And I, the way he puts it is he's just very compelled by the, you're going to be in this movie for so long wondering. I mean, it's such a simple concept now. Maybe a little different then. Mm-hmm. Is this guy crazy, or are these supernatural events? Like, he loved... I mean, he just loved, he calls it an ingenious and exciting, an extraordinary balance between the psychological and the supernatural. I guess, I don't know enough about horror literature to know. Maybe that really was revolutionary when King's writing, where he's like, I'm writing a character study of a, of a broken guy, like, of an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And so you can read this book for a long time thinking, like, am I, you know, is this an unreliable narrator? Like, is this just not? Supernatural. Sure. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. I, yeah. Surely not. I mean, yeah, it's been I, going on since fucking whatever, right? I also, Jekyll and Hyde or whatever. You know, not yeah, not know. to be like a fucking obvious motherfucker. Okay. Well, then don't be. Fine. Then I retract the statement. <laughs> I was what were you going to say? What were you going to say? Did, did you guys find, as I did, that this movie plays differently post-pandemic? Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. That I was mean, one for of the things sure. that I wanted right? to talk about. Right? Because y- you do have that thing where, like, even beyond, like, the alcoholism, this guy's sort of latent rage, you know, his own anger, what have you, there is that thing we're watching it. I'm like, yeah, I understand how being stuck in one place for this long would eventually make you break your fucking brain. And I do find now that, like, if, like, I, I had stomach troubles yesterday. I spent the whole day in bed. It's so much easier. It takes so much less for me to start feeling like I'm losing my mind if I am in isolation for 24 hours after spending like 15 months in isolation. Like it slips back so quickly to like, what is my reality? Like somebody I know got a heat stroke one time. And apparently once the body finds gets heat stroke for the first time, uh-huh. it's, it's almost like the body says, I, I'm not a doctor. Uh, it's Simons. like the body says, oh, well, now we know how to get there. And right. it becomes mm-hmm. so it's a quicker pathway. To, yeah. Over the course of the pandemic, twice I had to go to Canada to to finish jobs. So mm-hmm. I had to do two separate two week hotel questions. Sure. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, and one thing about spending two straight weeks in one room without leaving is that you go insane very fast. Yep. And so, yes, this did hit differently post-pandemic, especially because by, like, the 11th day, you're like, I belong in here. 
I don't right. exist anywhere else. And frankly, I don't want to go out there because it's better for me. And, and there's no going back. I can't be the person I was. No, I can't be the person. Right. And, that, and that pathway, yes. I remember the second time, you got I faster. hit that on like day five right, because right, the body right, right. was like, oh, we, we know, know where we're going. That's the thing. Right. I mean, yeah. when I when I got COVID and I was pretty lucky in that I got a pretty mild case and I was like free of symptoms and testing positive again after like five days or whatever. When I when I text uh, uh, David and Ben and Marie on like a Sunday to say like I just tested positive, we got to fucking reschedule episodes for the next ten days or whatever. I was like, I feel not great, not horrendous. Right. The thing that scares me most is I just now have this like you just have a, I have to be alone in my apartment for yeah, ten days, yeah. and I'm just preemptively worried about knowing how quickly my mind is going to slip into just like Jack Torrance shit. Um. So it's 34. I'll be in this hotel forever. I've been here forever. It's 3411 into the movie and you get the title screen a month later and he has lost yeah. it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, big deal. One right. month later. Yeah, sure. Like, right. like post-pandemic. Whereas before this shit, yeah, ben, right. he didn't I, have I, Netflix. I would have related a little bit yes. more to the isolation. I'm like, whatever. Whatever. You, know? you can deal a with month that. Right. You're already showing signs of insanity. I, right. I watched this movie, and maybe it is a little bit of a post-pandemic thing. I've seen this movie one billion times. Sure. It's like one of my favorite movies. But just the tour they do. Yeah. Where, and, you know, Scatman's, you know, doing a great job. Just, he's so friendly. Like, I want to circle back to Scatman, who I think is the second MVP of this movie. I mean, he yeah. fucking <laughs> rules. Yeah. But, like, where he's like, and in here we've got, like, 20 chickens and eight. And I'm just like, obviously, there's the comforting side of, like, great, they've got enough food. And then the other side of, like, fuck. Like, this is it. It's for you. You're right. going to be locked in here. Like, yeah, I just right. start to, like, my hands itch. Yeah. There was one thing. What are we going to eat tonight, love? I don't know. Another fucking leg shoulder, yes. lamb shoulder or whatever, you know. Yeah. The, I have a leg thing shoulder? about, Jesus. about, like, transitional spaces. And there's a great moment in the movie where, where the family comes up. And the guys are kind of walking him around. And they show him that room. And it's like, I don't, why can't they like stay up in like the nice penthouse room? Why did yeah, they right, stay yeah, in like right, that right. shit? Right, like a boring right. hotel but room. Right. They're showing him around during that tour. The fact that it's like so busy. It's one of the scariest things is this idea that it's so busy, but they're like, by five o'clock, it's going to be like, no one was ever here. Right. That transitional time yeah. has yeah. got to be fucking terrifying. I started thinking about it. And I think there's a little more of it in the book, which I haven't read in a long time, of the idea of like, you sit down. And then you watch people leave. Yeah. And it's like watching sand through an hourglass. Where you're like, oh, they're not coming back. That's they're another one back. that's gone forever. And then like, right. you know, the janitors start to go and you're like, off they go. And then it's right. like just Scatman maybe. And he's like, all right, guys. All right. Creak. You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> see it, obviously. We just cut forward. But like, that is so scary to think about. It's any I those, wouldn't take this job. I wouldn't either. It's like any of those movies or TV I shows would. where people are I on would. like Arctic bases. You know, like the sure. thing or whatever. Right, where it's right, just right. like, that oh, life. cargo gonna... delivery. This is the first new face you see for six months. And right. then you can set your watch at six months until there's another, yeah. you know. There, have, any, have either of you guys ever seen any of you guys? There's the great fucking Twilight Zone episode. I'm trying to remember what it's called, but it's Jack Warden. And he's like stuck in a weird desert in a small house with the his lonely. wife. The lonely. Uh, he's got this beautiful wife and he's, you're like, is he, is this some experimental? Is he here for research? What is this? And then these guys come down to get him, and it turns out, like, no, this is a form of prison. Right, he's been, like, put on an asteroid or whatever. He's been put yeah, on an asteroid. Right, he's right. on, like, a prison planet where the whole thing is isolation. 
but they were like, we don't want them to totally lose their mind, so we give them a robot. So there's like someone to talk to. And his wife is this robot. And they're like, we can't take the robot back with us because she's too heavy. There's not space for her on the ship. And he's just like, my entire identity has become... Being in love with this this robot. Yeah, I can't, right. I can't. Like, he's like, I have to kill one of you. I have to get off this planet, but I can't lose her. You know, and it's like he gets so conditioned to this bizarre reality, this punishment. At the end, he, the, the guy shoots the robot and then she's a robot and that snaps him out of it, right? Like, that's what it yeah. is. That's the, yeah, you see her face like with all, all wires the gears and wires it's good, under it. It's a, cool it's a really episode. fucking good episode. Yeah. Uh, problematically, when I think about the show Westworld, it yeah. never really hit for me because mostly I'm just like, I don't know, turn them off. Right. You know what I mean? Just turn it off. Like, yeah. yeah, like, okay, I'm sorry, this robot loves its daughter. Okay, they're both fucking robots. I don't know, turn them off. Yeah. You, were, you would be considered a villain in Westworld. I yeah. think I would yeah. be a villain in Westworld. Honestly, but... you might have been good at, like, one of the guys with, like, the iPads. Yeah. Like, turn them think. off. Like, the trauma meter is so high on the white. Why is this thing so traumatized? Back to the <laughs> death storyline. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, does anybody does anybody feel bad about like one of the parents like at my kid's school even asked me, they're like, well, what if you found out that, you know, our son was a robot? I don't know. Fucking turn him off. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, what if I found out the toaster didn't work? I don't oh, yeah, like sure. I, I, I don't. Anyway, that's a, that's like that. We don't need to go too far. Yeah. That. Yeah. The Shining. Mm -hmm. The Shining. Uh, so, right. So, Kubrick, a, another backhanded quote. The novel is by no means a serious literary work, but the plot is extremely well worked out, and for a film, that's all that matters. Again, I... Sure. Like, be nicer, Stan. Yeah. Just be yeah. like, you know what? I love the book. <laughs> like, why doesn't he just say that? It's really just the same sentence. It's especially interesting because when the movie comes out... I thought the book was great. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, but from the first book. screening, Stephen King's like, oh, fuck. They, like, they massacred my boy. And then proceeds to, like, for five years, be very polite about right, this Right, right. The griping was, like, a slow incline. Like, right. very slow increase. Whereas like, Kubrick, when the movie's coming out, is like, I mean, obviously this novel's dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> this guy can't fucking write his way up a paperback. It's just very interesting, all the Kubrick quotes, which is funny considering that people are, you know, unpack his movies in this way of, like, what does it mean? Mm -hmm. And he's instead just like, a story of the supernatural shouldn't be taken apart or analyzed closely. The whole test of its rationale is whether it's good enough to raise the hair on the back of your neck. Right. Like, which he's right. Like, every way he described this movie was just like, I really want to see how much I could scare people. I, it was an interesting movie, challenge to I me. I bring up Casablanca all the time for this example because I showed Casablanca to my friends because I love Casablanca. Good movie. What do you guys think? It's a great movie. Great movie. Yeah. yeah. Ben's probably not seeing it. Is that the one uh, where they're in Casablanca? And yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I remember showing it to my friends as a teenager. It's like a little budding cinephile. Sure. And them watching it and being like, well, that movie's corny. And I would be like, well, I mean, no, like every movie copied it. Like, right. You know, like, and like when you watch The Shining for the first time, literally there are little girls who say, come play with us forever and ever and ever. And you should be like, well, that's the, I've seen this a million times. Like, right. If you're in 2022 and you've never seen The yeah. Shining creepy little girls being, come play with us like anyone and yet it is still so so scary but that's what we were talking movie. about where you're like how do you talk about this movie and it's like oh you just watch it and you react just, to it because right. the thing you don't have to like create the a context being like, around I it. had to correct them again like just feel like that's yeah. cheesy and yet not at all when you watch the movie you're so unsettled it's so it's so good 
one and in while I was watching it this time, instead of thinking about those big things, those sure, like the, those the, sort the of most like big analytical one, things, yeah. I found yeah. myself thinking about how like about how the fuck did he make this so scary? That's and right. and I feel like one thing that I noticed, and it happens a few times, is he waits a really long time. He, like it happens a few times, I think three or four with Danny. The first time he's Danny sees the girls in the game room, mm-hmm. the tennis ball and oh shit. There's one other time where it kind of gets in on his face. Somebody sees something and he just doesn't fucking cut to show you what yes. they're looking at. I love and the that first shit. time is in the game room. It goes into Danny and he just holds on that kid. And you are like, show us what it is. You are. It is maddening because you are fucking show me i am so scared right and when it turns like even just the technical things of like an an un like a new horror filmmaker or somebody like maybe without the clout might do like a zoom in on the twins or on the on the two girls but it's just he just kind of has them wide in that room and it's like you are now inside danny's head just seeing these two girls in the the room the weird magic of the editing rhythms of this movie where you're like everything goes on for too long without being boring and it somehow only makes you more on edge where you're like can we please fucking hurry this up and whether it's the terrifying image whether it's the wind up for the terrifying image or a conversation you're like this something's wrong here can we just get on with it one of my favorite scenes is the scene Tim, you know, dragged Red for Filth earlier and said was basically just like a fucking Netflix sketch. Uh, <laughs> the, the bartender scene. Because, like, it's, you know, Danny's in his weird, you know, caretaker outfit. For sure. His, like, uh, sweater thing. Yeah. yeah. Everyone else is in, like, 1920s regalia. Joe yes. Turkle, who recently died, right? Very recently died. Uh, who's the yeah, bartender. Just a few weeks ago. Who just yeah. has, like, a face like a fucking slab. Like, the most yes. incredible tomb's face. Uh, and it's also a, a Tyrell it's, and Blade runner. Right. Uh, love him. Oh, shit. He's, yeah. like, so clipped mm. and chill. And nothing happens in that scene. Yeah. Except this weird exchange of dialogue that's right. so stilted. And you're just, like, the hell is going on the entire time like yeah. or what's what's the turn that's about to come like yeah. what what's the and there's there's no, you know there's no jump there's not really jumps in this movie right. really right i mean like i guess scatman getting axed is a bit of a uh, sure yeah but even See, that even that you it's even that when you're going up the hall every one of those pillars you're like fuck he's behind that one and right he you're pretty and you're like oh fuck he's it. behind the next one and then he isn't yeah, and also just the way the music works. It's just, it's not whatever. It's no. not how jump scares evolved. I, guess. I don't know. I think Scatman Crothers is kind of incredible in this movie. And it's an obvious, like, complaint. The people who like to ding this movie, and, and it's rooted in King's analysis of what he thinks Kubrick missed or lost from the book. But, like, Kubrick's whole thing was, he took all the emotion out of it. He is, like, such a, an icy clinical filmmaker, and he's like, literally, the book ends with fire, and the movie ends with ice. The guy seems crazy from the beginning. No right. one really feels like a human. Right. Uh, he made uh, uh, Nancy. Wendy, Wendy. 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 He made right. Wendy into too much of like a victim from the beginning. Yes. All this sort of stuff, right? That's sort of like the the push against it. I I think Skemmon Crothers has so much humanity. Yeah, so in much this warmth with the film. kid, and and, and it's and like later. Yeah. It's such it's such a respite that scene. Like every time I watch this movie and I get to the scene where he relates to Danny and talks about The Shining, I'm like, this is the only scene in this movie that makes me feel a little comfortable. 
And there's something about the fact that, like, talking about the whole dynamic between Wendy and uh, uh, Jack, the other piece that I think Shelley Duvall plays so well is, like, her undying love for this kid and the understanding that she's sort of got to be with this guy. And the way that I think a lot of people who are in abusive relationships justify these things to themselves, it's like, I have to maintain this family dynamic for this kid. I have to try to fix this man for this kid. I can't ever truly hate him because he gave me this kid. And Jack has this resentment of his kid being weird, right? right. Like, why can't you be normal? And Scamian Crothers, like, you think, like, uh, going back to this yes. idea of, like, Red Rum being this gigantic thing, like, you think the shining, the shining, the shining. Yeah. I, I had forgotten that Scatman Crothers is, like, we called it the shining because it's a positive thing. Right, right, you right. shine. Yeah. And it's like, here's the one person who knows how to talk to this kid. You know, Wendy has so many levels of sort of self-justification and sort of what she chooses to accept in her reality or not, as much as she loves this kid. Scatman's able to talk to her, to, to Danny, so directly, so calmly, so confidently, and, and with such a true, like, warmth. There's that feeling of, like, when you see someone who really knows how to talk to a kid, not talk down to them, treat them as an equal, but with understanding of the delicacy of the thing, you know, uh, it, it's, it's really impactful. Yeah. And that it is like, you shouldn't feel burdened by this. He's so, he's so goddamn good. Tony's uh -huh. cool, too. Yeah, yeah, he's a cool guy. Like, I like his voice. Little finger guy, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What? No, I was going to say, do you know that Scatman Crothers was the voice of uh, Hong Kong Fooey? Really? Yeah. yeah. He's the voice of Hong Kong Fooey? He's jazz, right? Yeah. Autobot uh, jazz? Yes. Yeah. The Transformers? Well, Will you tell me, uh, because I didn't intentionally, didn't look up a lot about it, what did Scatman Crothers do outside of this? Well, uh, Hong Kong Fooey, Autobot jazz. Okay. Well, he was like a big, like, band leader and then singer. Like, that was his, that's how he got famous. Like, mm -hmm. initially, okay. he's like, uh, you know, a uh, famous singer and performer. Uh, he's that called the Scat Man because is about him. Well, yeah, he was a scat singer. Like he would do. That's that, what I assume. You know, like, yeah. but yeah, it would be funny if he was just like, no, it's just, it's just like no, no. His real name is Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's like if there's a guy named Rock and Roll Tompkins, and they're like, why do you call him Rock and Roll Tompkins? It's like that guy created rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, he's in a. You know, he was the best. A, at I it. mean, he's in a zillion movies, but he had been in a bunch of Nicholson movies. He's in King of Marvin Gardens oh, sure. and The Fortune yeah. and Cuckoo's Nest. And so Nicholson recommends him for this. Mm -hmm. And Nicholson apparently said to Kubrick, like, look, he's really good, but he will struggle with these lines, like to remember his lines. He's not yeah. like, that's not his forte. And apparently, you know, that Scatman struggled with the Kubrick 80 takes right. per shot thing. But Nicholson does say, like, Kubrick was never going to replace him. Like, there was yeah. never any kind of tension like that. All right, so here's a Scatman quote. One scene, I get out of a snowcat and I walk across the street with no dialogue. 50 takes. Yeah. I, I really do wonder what you think as an actor when that's I happening. Know. To I you. just think, I think Kubrick, like, even with a very, obviously, emotional performance like Wendy in this, he finds a way to break his actors to a point where they all have that odd Kubrick vibe to them, you know? And even Danny casting, like, a real kid. They had such an extensive search to find a kid who felt real. Right. But he exists on this Kubrick wavelength. And Scatman somehow avoids that, where you're like, he's from a different movie. He's from a warmer reality where people know how to relate to and each when other. And that one scene where he's on the phone at the airport, yeah. 
you're weirdly chilled out all of a sudden. That's yeah. Oh my God, right? Every Real time he's people? on screen, every time you cut away to him, whether or not I think he's going to be able to save anyone or stop anything from yeah. happening. I knew he would die because of Groundskeeper Willie. Like, I'd yeah. seen the Simpsons episode before I saw this. He no offense has, to, you know, he strikes to... me as one of those guys, like everybody else on that shed is, set is going to show up and be like, oh wow, Stanley Kubrick. Okay, well, okay, Stanley Kubrick. And he right. strikes me as the kind of guy who's like, who the fuck's that? Yeah. Like, okay, all right, but I'm Scatman Crothers. Right, I'm here to do my thing. I'm here to do my thing. And he would be like, and maybe that's, I always admire people like that. Yes. That they're, they're so willing to not worry. There, there was this thing went around recently, um, this anecdote where the, the yeah. movie he did after this was Bronco Billy, which is a Clint Eastwood movie. Right. And apparently like, Miss, Mr. After Half-a-take. months, that's the thing. Right. After months and months of Kubrick, he shows up to Bronco Billy, they shoot a, a shot. They do one scene and Clint's like, great, move on. And Scatman says, like, he started crying because he was like, yeah, that was good. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like the opposite. And so people are like, God, you know, then the narrative, of course, just sort of rears up. Like PTSD. Like, yeah, Kubrick yeah. was so awful. And like, right. then he broke like, Scatman. JJ does link to a video here that I watched beforehand. I, that's why I clicked mm-hmm. on it. Uh, where, like, he seems very positive about doing this movie, having yeah. done this movie. It's yeah. not like he was like, what a nightmare. But I do think he was baffled by doing 180 takes of like yeah, listing chickens like him and him who doesn't fish. come from like an acting background and it's like you're an interesting charismatic figure you should we should put you in movies and his career like sort of grows and grows and grows and grows but it's based on his understanding of his own naturalism and whatever and then here's this guy who's like forcing him into rigid perfectionism but it, it's like that's why it works because he's coming from an entirely different I mean, Shelley Duvall is also so fascinating we'll on this talk about that count minute, because right? it's like, thing. right. But, but I'm just saying in terms of background, like, well, she had not really worked with another director yeah, at all. She's, right. she's discovered for Bruce McCloud as yeah. like a makeup tester at a mall. And the producer was just like, Bobby, you got to come see this woman. She's the most fascinating human being I've ever witnessed. That's how she ended up in this movie. In Brewster no, McCloud. In, Bruce, in her in, first in, movie. Because like, like, oh, she does, okay. what, six Altman movies yeah. in a row. It's Brewster, it was, McCabe. Thieves Like Us, Nashville, right. Buffalo. She Bill, was doing like women. makeup demonstrations at a mall and the producer went to Bob Altman and was like, you got to see this woman. And they like have her audition and they're like, I, I, is this an act? Like this is how she talks and how she moves, what she looks like and everything. Like just the most bizarre energy. And he essentially like was just like, well, you can't act, but you're so fascinating. And then movie after movie, she starts to like really develop where you get to the point of three women where you're like, this is like a fucking incredible performance this is someone who so clearly has come into but she also of, does just have such magnificent natural energy, energy right, in yes. those movies it's so cool and then she is in annie hall but yes. like for a second that was her only that's her only non, non altman. altman until then and altman's whole thing was like when he found somebody he was like you only work for me this is like my little mafia I'll keep and obviously rehired. he made like a movie a year so at least you were right. working but yeah, right yeah but like Bud Court does Mash and Brewster back to black, back and then gets offered Harold and Maude and he goes to take that and Altman's like, door closed, you're never welcome back. What a fun chill guy. Incredibly unchill guy. So like her taking this was a big ass deal because Altman was like, have fun. She's cast in Popeye against Altman's wishes. Like in, in the studio's he, like, you like, have to cast No Shelley one has Duvall. ever looked more like olive oil yeah. as a human being. And he's like, I don't talk to her anymore. Oh my god, okay. she's so good in Popeye. That might be like that's her best performance, greatest performance. Yeah, yeah. But like, but it's like you know she's someone who sort of developed her own acting process purely through working with one director who had a very unique approach to actors over the course of a decade. 
where you get to the point where three women, she she like wins the best actress at Cannes, right? And people were just like, oh, this is someone who clearly knows what they're doing. This is not just an interesting energy anymore. Everything that she does in this movie is incredible. Yeah. Even when, uh, like, you know, when he's finally writing and she goes in to talk to him, like, she as like, she has this way of keeping everything light in that way of like, well, I just thought I'd come in and check on you. You know, like in that way of like somebody who is like, well, I, I, I never know what I'm going to get yeah. from this person. Right. Just constantly dealing with a powder keg. Yeah. It, and right. like, and also like the sort, it, it feels like, especially like what we were talking about earlier, that scene where she's talking to the, the doctor who comes to the house looking for Danny and she's telling the story about, you know, like a hundred other times you do this. It's, it, it feels light, but also rehearsed. And it yeah. feels like she has gone through it enough times that it, that it sounds true. But it is, but you, if you dig through it enough, you're like, oh no, this is an act. Like it's a really amazing performance that yeah. she gives. King's objections are known. So yeah, I'll just sure, wrap sure, that yeah. with, he has his quote, it's a big, great Cadillac. With no motor inside. Right. Sounds spooky. Mm. Sounds like the premise of a Stephen King novel. Yes. Uh, and like you said, he has a sort of like, the book is hot, the movie is cold. You know, right. ends in fire, ends in ice. Kubrick hates emotions. He doesn't care to dig into these and things. He, yeah. And he has the complaint that many have lodged over the years of like, it's misogynistic. She's yeah. a shrew. She's a nag. Like, turns Wendy into this one-dimensional character, which I don't think is true, but... I agree. Um, I, wow, I couldn't agree with. Well, I, I think she's one dimensional in the way that every character in this movie is one dimensional, which is not. But you know what I mean, like where you're like, well, Nicholson's crazy and she's scared. Like it's just because right. their performances are so at They're the very surface. primal. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, obviously he co-wrote this movie with Diane Johnson, who's a very famous novelist mm -hmm. before and after, and she obviously is a, a huge influence on the writing of the script. Yeah. Um. And they they like she like moved to London you know, and worked on this script with him for months. Like, it mm -hmm. wasn't just some kind of, like, she took a pass. There's a lot. I mean, look, look, I mean, look, we love you, JJ, but it's the longest dossier ever. I can't do it all. Yeah. <laughs> it's also just one of those things with The Shining where you're just, like, if you start digging into the context too deeply, you're like, am I ever going to get out of this? The more I know, the more aware I become of what I don't know or haven't considered or whatever, you know? Uh, it's such an endless pool. It's the thing you said... Kubrick's kind of complaint of like he just puts everything into it so they start pulling stuff out the topiary yeah. animals that come to life there's all sure. flashbacks they remove all of that like that are in the novel things like that uh, have you guys read that has anyone read The Shining apart from me no? I think only. I read it when I was yeah. like the sixth grade one of my bona fides for being on this is that I grew up in Maine That's right true you're right. a Mainer a Mainer you're, you're a Mainer, Mainer. yes right? like you can go back and they're they're like you're still a Mainer or are you no, excluded because oh, yeah. you left? No, I guess just because the cat had kittens in the oven, don't make them biscuits. My what? parents are from the Midwest, so <laughs> that's because that's what my I have. We have close family friends in Maine, and I guess it's the the mom married the dad, and like the dad's a Mainer, and she's lived there for like forty fucking years, and she's like, I'll never be a Mainer. Wow. Like they'll never accept me. I'm wow. from Ohio or what? I mean, yeah. like I was born at a hospital in Augusta, Maine. You sure. I grew up my entire life there. Yeah. Right. Uh, 207. But is that what is that's it? the area? Oh, code. Sure. that's the main sure. area code. But no, I mean, like I met I met a guy in Chicago and I said, oh, it's like I'm from Maine. He's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, he's where are your parents born. I was like, this, <laughs> Jesus Christ. This motherfucker. 
Also, you left the siren call of the adrenochrome. You couldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you couldn't resist the adrenochrome. Yeah. Um, Kubrick casts Jack Nicholson, a famed actor. Mm. He had wanted him to play Napoleon in his Napoleon yeah, movie. Yeah, which is wild. It, kind of unbelievable. Like, yeah. what the fuck is that movie? Nicholson but, is Napoleon? Reading like, that, though, and Kubrick had some quote about, like, yeah, I think pretty much everyone in Hollywood wants Nicholson for every leading role. Yes. You're like, oh, Nicholson was kind of in right. that Adam Driver position where it's like... It's like, why wouldn't you want this? We guy? have a yeah, leading he, man who is so unique and so interesting and also has become bankable. If, puts, you're, if you're a serious director that's with a difficult thing. role, yeah. why wouldn't you pick this guy? He actually is a seen as a box office draw, right. but he's also, like, a top actor Kubrick compares him to who he thinks are the two greatest stars, Spencer Tracy and Jimmy Cagney. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and both of those make sense where it's like, those guys are not like conventionally handsome. Sure. And they're not even necessarily like, like big robust guys, but they are such good actors and they were movie stars, like fuck off movie stars. Like, yeah. And I think the thing he shares with Cagney is the like, why is this guy so watchable? Like this guy can kind of make anything interesting. You know, and, and can play dark and can play light and funny and serious and anything. It's just like, oh, he can kind of sell an audience on anything. So the more difficult the material or the character, the more you're like, just give me Nicholson. Then, then the movie makes sense. Then I don't have to pitch it to people. They both like the book. They talk about like, what do we want to keep? What do we want to... The, fight, the thing they fight over is Nicholson wanted like the sexual element, like the sort of sexual repression, sexual violence How element. How surprising. Um, and he says, like, I think there's more for me to work with. I thought it would be really terrifying. And Stanley's answer was, it will be too terrifying. Yeah. Which is interesting. Stanley was like, like, put your dick away for a second, Jack. Not everything's about fucking. Um, <laughs> you know, the way Stanley put it, like, the murders have to be less sinister to keep the idea of the supernatural real. I don't really know what that means, but no. it does make a sort of sense anyway. Like, if she said that to me, I would be like, okay. Like, you know, I wouldn't really fight Kubrick on that. I, I, mean, I will say this, too. I do think you talk about how few people die in this movie, mm. especially for a movie where a guy is wielding an axe for over an hour straight, it feels like. an axe for a while. Yeah. There's a bat in there. You know, there's there, some weapons. There is a certain catharsis, weirdly, to a killing on screen, right? Where, like, if you see Michael Myers stab somebody, the tension's released out of the balloon for a little bit because you're like, well, at least it's probably five minutes until that happens that, That's again. exactly yeah. what it is. You're you can like, sort of set, set your watch over. Right. And now, The movie's got to dip for a moment. Because the whole yeah. thing with a slasher movie is like, if he's going to kill someone else, we're going to have to meet them. Yes. Figure out where they are right. and then we're going to get going. Like, right. you know, even if we've met the character before, we're going to need to be like, okay, this character's in a fun house and like, right. you know, whatever. Like, in, in the same way, it's like, if you're never letting this guy fuck and you're kind of never letting him swing the axe at people, you know, and making impact, then it's just building and building and building and building. Um, you looked like you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, no, 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 no. I just really enjoyed your, like, oh, they're in a fun house. Sure. I really, I really enjoyed yeah. that. My, yeah. Myers is in a fun house. Nicholson says the scene where he's writing mm-hmm. and he unloads on her. Right, know, that was writing. his suggestion. Yeah, he's right. like, that's like me when I got my divorce. Yeah. Uh, and you know, under the pressure of like being a family guy, and like I don't know, like he that's you know he talks about that. Um, you know what I think is so good about that scene? It it's like the torturous relationship to writing, mm-hmm. where you're like, well, first of all, the reason I can't write is one problem, and if I fix that one problem, then floodgates are going to open, and this won't be a torturous process to me. Oh, the problem is I'm around too many people. I got to move to a, a empty uh, hotel. Uh, top of a mountain and then and then it will flow baby right like there's 
the amount of times I've told myself, like, oh, the problem is I don't like physically writing. If I get a text-to-speech headset, then I'll write fucking four novels a week or whatever it is, right? But and I the, love that, like, all of that is present at in that first scene where he's first like, well, I'm working on an outline of a new right. story. And it's right. like, oh, no. <laughs> an outline. You're not. Great. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> outline. You're going to crush this living alone <laughs> in a cavernous hotel. He's yeah. so committed to this idea of, like, I got to take a big swing to solve the writer's block, you know, to just loosen everything up. But also, when he spills on his, like, you don't understand the pressure, keeping this family, whatever, so much of it is, like, I can't write because I'm so busy with this family. That's the problem. And when she comes in and quote-unquote disrupts him, yeah. it's that thing where you're like, I'm looking for there to be an outside thing I can blame this yeah, on. Yeah, you can displace all this on too. Right, 100%. Right, yeah. where it's like, I, I was going to be writing for the next 10 hours. Yeah, I, and I, now I, you've broken the flow. Um, it's addiction too. Yeah. I mean, that is what, that's my big read. I mean, and it's obvious, but like, him not having alcohol for five months and now locked with locked in a space with basically right. the cause of it, which is his wife and his kid. I mean, that behavior, happens, that yeah. reaction, that like you, you, it's like subconscious when you're an addict, like you just lash out at anyone around you because you just want the thing. You're the thing that, that's stopping that making me from feel the thing empty. I want but it's also whatever. the same yeah, line yeah, of thinking yeah. where it's like, okay, how do I kick the bottle? Uh, seclude myself in a mountain. Right, keep myself away from If I don't have bottles. access to alcohol, then I'll be fine. Then I just, if I can't, then I will be okay. And it's like, no, you're going to go nuts. Yeah, so Ben, you you would said you would take this job, though. So is it like the simple plan where you were like, if I'd found that money, I would have kept it and used it wisely. Yeah. <laughs> Here, you're like, if I'd gone to that hotel, I would have written a great novel and not... Guy not comes back, that. hotel spick and span. <laughs> I would have been I would have been eating fucking racks of fucking ribs. <laughs> I would have had a good Dining out time. like a king. Yeah, man. You and Ben's pig. watching this movie, like, jotting down recipe ideas <laughs> as Scatman's going through the, the dry story. He <laughs> went to Indeed com looking for people. I <laughs> can peaches. Oh man, get some ice cream. That'd be a delicious little dessert. How long could I think I could do a week, and then I would have to go. I think about a week is what I can imagine doing. Just like you can't fucking leave. You're just in this empty hotel. I was an only child, so I think I could mm -hmm. do a solid two months. I, I'm not kidding. I had no, stomach would, like, problems dude, 48 hours. yesterday, yeah. and by the end of the day, staying in bed, I felt like I was losing my mind. <laughs> oh, I, I think it is the the pathway, though. What you're saying of yeah, like it's just been opened up, and you just right. like you're, post, you tumble post down pandemic, that hole. It's, it takes an hour alone. I start to go like, well, do I ever leave? All right. Yeah. There was the moment where he's throwing the tennis ball against the wall. Like it starts on the the typewriter with nothing on the page, and then it pans out. And he's throwing the tennis ball against the wall. I'm like, oh man. Yeah, I've been there, but yeah, get it. Like, yeah. there was something very relatable and great about that. Even though it was about him going, like, beginning to go crazy, mm -hmm. I was just like on like the writerly part, being like, "Yeah, man, yeah, do it." <laughs> yeah, actually, two months seems like a long time. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of that. time, my friend. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll scale it back. Yeah, maybe you get Netflix in this world. Oh, okay. Big difference. Just Netflix. Also, though. Ben, you wouldn't Just need that you much know time. what? I had Netflix when I was in those hotels, and Didn't I still help. went fucking Oh, yeah. No, it, I don't yeah. think it really would help. No. 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 But, Ben, you wouldn't need that much time, because you'd, you'd finish the novel in, like, three days. Oh, easy. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah no it problem. would be funny if this movie... Day, it's, like, day three, and he's like, novel done! Yeah. And then, like, then and then he goes crazy. 
just be funny if he actually wrote the novel. You know, no, he has to start editing it. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> it's also <laughs> it's it's interesting that this comes from Stephen King, who I think is thought of as like a faucet. Yeah, right. He just writes and writes and writes and writes. Right, and yeah, and, and like Kubrick's yeah. complaint is like, well, he puts every idea in the book. But it is the benefit of that is like he writes four books a year. Like yeah, he just takes whatever he's feeling at that moment. He talks about writer's block and he yeah. said he's had it. And I'm yeah. sure he has. But then also you're like, your writer's block must be very short and intense because yeah. you do produce so much. One well, I think he was like struggling to come up with a concept for The Shining or for his next book before this. Well, and he, he talks about like shiny and he was like, I don't know what shiny I name this. <laughs> um, uh-huh. No, but the, it, I saw quotes from him where he was sort of like, you know, I went on vacation. And then I was in this abandoned hotel and then I, you know, there weren't that many people there and the hallway started to scare me. Like it was truly like a 12 hour process where he he's like woke up the next morning and was like, I think I got the whole book in my head. And then he starts right. That's what he's, I mean, that's the same with Pet Cemetery. It was yeah. like a truck almost ran my kid over and I was like, all right. And then I wrote a novel. Right. And showed it to his wife and his wife was like, this is the most fucked up thing you've ever written. <laughs> what the hell is going on with you? <laughs> like, you know, which I, Pet Cemetery is my favorite. Scene. I saw some interview with him recently where it was him in, you know, in sort of conversation with another writer. And sure. I forget who it was. Yeah on stage and he was asking him like how do you fucking do it this much and he's like well you know i just think my books tend to be about 500 600 pages long and i just commit to writing 10 pages a day so sure. that means you pretty much get it done two months yeah i mean and they were like and you just open up the laptop and you successfully get 10 pages done every day and he's like yeah pretty much he's like i don't use a laptop write by hand oh, well, no, sure. I, don't, I don't know how sure. to whatever it um, is. yeah yeah and he just has another it. shout out to maine who uh, to maine Oh, state. Shout the, out Maine. The state generally. Sure. What is, what is the, what's this, like, it's the what state? You, uh, know, you know how, like, it's like, oh, the nutmeg state or whatever. Like, does Maine oh, have we're a, the pine tree state. Oh. Pine tree state. Wow. Oh. So there is a certain New Englandy work ethic that that speaks to of, like, I think everybody there has a hard, would have a hard time being an artist. And mm. so it makes sense that he makes, he's like, oh, I just get up and write. He's yeah. like, right. It's, it's work. I'm not it's precious work. about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I woke I up and just like every other person that lives here, I did my work. And at the end of the day, I was done doing If work. I'm a writer, it is my job to write every day. Yeah. I'm not going to question whether Dreamcatcher is insane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just well, going to finish writing he Dreamcatcher. He has said about Dream, that's, that's the goofballs book where he sure. was like, I do not remember writing. <laughs> right. Right. I was 100% on painkillers the entire time. Uh, nothing about that book, of course, suggests that at all. Very no. chill book. No, no. Uh, and you know, we talked about this on the Kingcast, but you yep. know what the original title of that book was? Butt Weasels? Cancer. Oh, boy. And, and, and like his, his like, man, the agent was like, that's a bummer. And also, this book isn't about cancer. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it. <laughs> he was like, Rrr. Yeah. Anyway, Shelley Duvall. Yes. Yeah. Kubrick casts her. Both Nicholson and Kubrick sort of talk about her in the same way that feels like mildly insulting, but you know what they mean, where... Kubrick's like, you can't have Jane Fonda play this part. You need right. someone who's mousy and vulnerable and eccentric. And Nicholson, Nicholson talks about kind of wanted too. Jessica Lange, who makes more sense because, he, especially at this time, she's so fragile. He does emotionally in those early with roles, her right? The next year, which yeah. is a, a bad movie. But she, opinion. but she was a very delicate actress, despite being very poised. Sure, um, at the early run, I but think like, the first ten years, or so. they both yeah. sort of have this thing of like, we need to th like. In the book, she's a much more self-possessed person, but you're like, why is she still putting up with him? We yeah. wanted someone who felt a little more vulnerable or what, you know, like that. that's the sort of logic of casting someone like Shelley Duvall. I they guess. also talk about that thing where it's like the fact that she's not a trained actor, she didn't have all these weird behavioral tics taught out of her. 
You know, there's something just, she does things on screen, the way she moves her body, the way she holds herself, her energy is just stuff that, like, she is completely unique. You know, she just sort of vibrates in every moment. I think she totally, she's such an incredible actress. Um, I mean, I think, like, the whole conversation around her has gotten tied up in the fact that she had, like, mental problems later in life and, yes. like, people sort of connected the dot of, like, well, The Shining, like, ruined her. Right. Which is, like, not true. Yes. Like, and she's very clear that that's not true. And uh, But, like, it's, you know, it's de- there's that one interview. What was it? Was it Dr. Phil? Yes. That's, like, devastating to watch where you're like, yes. she shouldn't be in front of a camera. Right. It's from, like, right. a few years ago. Dr. Phil, a uh, very exploitative man. Right. He yeah. used to be very pro-Phil. I went through a period where I was finding it very cathartic to watch yes. Dr. Phil yell at families. It was 2016. Like, it was just one of those things yes. where it was clearly, like, turn the cameras off. Like, she's not ready for this. Like, yes. or whatever. And, like, she's she did that Hollywood Reporter interview, a couple, like, last year. Yeah, which was good. It actually. felt a little yeah. more like, okay, she sort of found her piece a little bit. Right. Um, But, like, there's no question that making this movie was an absolute nightmare for her. Like... And yes. the one of the biggest things that Nicholson talks about that's interesting is like, he's like, we all lived in London. We all rented places in London. And she rented a place in Elstree, which is, you know, north of London where you sh- where the studio is. And like never fucking went into the city. Yeah. Because she was like so in it. All right, shut up. Um, and he was Why? like... How do you know uh, geography? I'm a little bit confused. Yeah. Elstree is actually like a later stop on the Thames link, which is what I took to school every day. Well, so but... I'm sorry. You took the subway. No, not the subway. It was the Thames line. It's not subway. But that's a really long train ride to go into New York City. <laughs> it would be funny. For school every day? How? What's the turnaround time? Uh, I took Thames Link from Kennish Town to Blackfriars, guys. Hit me up or any other Thames Link uh, riders. Those are such strange names for it, it, MTA. Right. I'm like, what line is that? Two, three? I'm so, I'm so sorry. Like, I, you're a guest on our show. This is just so David, can, just This like, feels like some Kubrick-esque, I like, remember, is, he try, is there a mystery he's my college, waiting for my, us to My soak. college roommate was Irish. He was from, uh, from Northern Ireland. And uh, when he came to visit me the first time in London, where I lived for 13 years. What? Um, yeah, I lived in Kennish Town. And he was like, that's such a funny name. And I was like, why is that? What do you mean? And he's like, you know, it's like, not Kent. Kentish. <laughs> like, I was, I was like, <laughs> it's like if there was New Yorkish city. <laughs> Where someone's like, this place is like a lot like Kent. The guy's like, no, nah, nah, it's okay. It's, it's not it's Kent. Kentish. It's Kentish. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I just, as a, as absolutely as a, as a side note, and David, I think you're going to appreciate this. Please. As the podcast has gotten bigger, you know, and it feels like, People are really starting to listen. Yeah, I described it as unwieldy, but go on. Unwieldy. Good call. Yeah. Griffin, you've gone fucking soft on the bits. You've let David get in your head. Uh, and you know what? Fuck him. You thought I was going to enjoy this? I like this. I like this. I like this. I like this. Yeah. I am. You, you fucking do you. I you love this. You. No, 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 no. Do the bit. Don't let. I've been giving him a break because he's got the kid at home. You he's went soft. sleeping less. Mm-hmm. You went fucking mm-hmm. soft. No, I admit it. I you're admit trying. It. You're kowtowing to David. I know. I reply. I think you. Jack stopped Torrance doing it over here. I don't want him to shout at me. 
You think what? That you stopped doing it just because you was getting incredibly bored. No, no, I think this is exactly the kind of like, like lifeblood infusion. Like, Wait, the why do they? I'm a new listener. What is this? If like, I met like, you right now, yeah, I would never believe that you would be the kind of guy to do a weekly podcast about the movie Blank Check, right? Mm. And but I just want, I just want to know what you're putting out into the world yeah. right, right now. Right you today, you'd don't be like want this be pussy huh? would never ever do something that punishing. He would never commit to a bit that hard. It's yeah. Uh, anyway, she lived in Elstree. Uh, How would you know that? So wait, wait. Like uh, sorry, if, I did. So I did give you a that. clear example, like like a New Yorky example. It would be like if you fucking like were shooting a movie in like even beyond Westchester, like Rockland County. And it's rather, like if you were holed up at a hotel in Beachwood, Ohio, while everyone else was yucking it. Like, okay, that. like okay, that. How long was like the the car ride from your hotel to the set? It was the car ride to the hotel. The set was very short. Oh, we were closer to the, to the so location. That, uh, okay, that helps because, like, yeah, basically, it's like Nicholson is like, look, we took the two-hour car ride, right? But it's worth it. It's an it's a year and a half making this fucking movie because it's yeah. a Stanley Kubrick movie. You live in London, you can go home. No, we were and be in a we city. were in that position. Like Kevin yeah. Costner was like hour plus car ride, and we were like fifteen minutes from yeah. location, but with so you nothing were doing around. Shelley Duvall, but of course, yes. like, well, how long does draft day take to make? I don't know what how long we was were it? out there. Four six, years? Yeah, yeah. Four weeks, no, no. Weeks. We had like we had six weeks right. of, of real filming. Our, lived, our section of the movie. She lived in Elstree for eighteen months. Yeah, but also, like, and Shelley Duvall didn't have a Tim Simons to keep her sane. Yes, there was. Where a were Rapids? Yes. You were two years old, three. I don't know, <laughs> sure. At the time, you could have been helping. Yeah. So I, I would say, like, I had an experience. I was filming something in mm-hmm. uh, in New Orleans, but if you know New Orleans, it was like on the other side of Lake Pontchartrain. Sure, which would be like staying in L Street. Sure. Wherever that place yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way the fuck out. And it's not something I'll ever do again. Mm-hmm. And it, that thing, like, I, that, not, it wasn't for a year and a half, but that thing you're talking about rings true just because if you are that isolated from everything, it wears on you. And I, I wouldn't make that choice again. Um, right. Angelica Houston talks, in, who she's dating Nicholson at the time. <laughs> she talks about, like, I would see Shelly having a hard time. She's like an outside observer. Yeah. She's not there all the time. But she's like, I may have been misreading this, but it kind of felt like the boys were ganging up on her. Like, it's like Kubrick and Nicholson, these old hands. And she's like much more inexperienced with a production like this. There's always been this. And look, I I don't think it's exclusive to this movie, this dynamic, these actors and director. uh, But this is sort of an example. It, It perfectly kind of exemplifies this thing that you hear about sometimes where it's just like, it is assumed the man can act and is assumed that the director has to trick the performance out of the woman. Uh, you know, sure, I think right? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Like, why very... don't we like psychologically get right. her to? Yeah. And also, like, she's fucking sobbing and screaming for so much of this movie. Well, this is the bigger God. thing. I want to, I want to put a pin in that. I'm gonna get back to that in one second. Yeah, but I do think there's that thing, and I think it's tied to sort of this, like, uh, the way that method acting is mythologized with this certain type of leading man, yeah. right? And these men who punish themselves but have the strength to create the circumstances for themselves, put them, set them up for themselves, give the performance, take themselves out of it, survive, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, women are not really given the cultural leeway to talk about what they put themselves through for a performance, but I also think they don't feel this sort of need to make acting feel tough in that way. Yeah. I think it's very much this sort of like masculine overcompensation of what can be seen as a dainty job of like, I have to make this torturous. Sure, right. Whereas right. like when you talk 
when you hear interviews with the best female actors of any era, they're all like, you just do the work. It's more studious. It's more academic, you know? But like all the best actors sort of just talk about like Meryl Streep. I mean, there's the anecdote I always think about when Meryl Streep's on the set of Doubt. And Meryl Streep is by all accounts someone who just turns it on, turns it off. Right. Right. And she's in the scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's like pacing back and forth and like punching himself in the head and like digging his nails into his leg. And she just is going like, you don't need to do it, Phil. You don't need to do all that. I'm telling you. And of course, she's so good in that movie. The point is. Kapow! Got her! Jesus. Sorry. Meryl Streep dead on the floor. You conjured her out of the air just to murder her in Ben's apartment. Um, So there's that whole thing, right? And then the other part of it is, I I was reading, I think it was in the dossier, but some quotes from uh, Shelley Duvall in the making of the film, which just because the production is so fucking long. Yes. I think they'd originally told her it was going to be 12 weeks and then it was like 18 months, right? But she said like, there's a lot of crying in three women. She was like, I think that's why he hired me because I had this extended sort of emotional breakdown at the end of that movie that showed him that I could do that sustained for a longer period of time, whatever. 18 months is a different story. And she sort of was like, look, there's a certain point in time and it goes almost back to what you're saying, Tim, about like the heat stroke thing, right? Where it's like, whatever tricks you have to get your body into that state, your mind into that state. I have a playlist, sad music. I'm listening to it on a Walkman, whatever, right? She's like, at a certain point, your body doesn't enjoy that. And it starts yes. to go yeah, like, after, I'm not here, falling here, I'll give you again. the quote. By, yes. by after a while, your body rebels. It just says, stop doing this to me. I don't want to cry every day. Right. And the thought alone would start to make me cry. Waking up on a Monday so early and realizing I'm crying all day. Like, they, that's right. the schedule. Right. I would just start crying. And I would be like, I know, I don't know how to do it. I can't. And yet I did it. I don't know how I did it. Jack said that to me, too. He said, I don't know how you do this. It's this weird thing of, like, all the tricks you have to be able to do it in your own control start to go away because your basic survival mechanisms start to rebel against the way you're fucking with yourself. And she would say, like, I would actually, by the end of the day, I would find myself feeling very relaxed because it was, like, sort of, I've exercised everything from my system. It's really hard to get there, and it's harder to get there the longer the shoot goes on. And then it is this weird thing where it's like, oh, the thing that gets her to cry is the fear of needing to cry, which then becomes a very unhealthy cycle. Yeah. I will say that, like, I had not read that quote, but even as, like, in the same way that when I watch a movie that, like, when they're shooting out in the cold, I'm like, oh, everybody was cold that day. Yeah, sure. I'm watching this movie and watching her performance. And I'm not saying this to take away from Jack Nicholson's. Jack Nicholson's is very good, is incredible. Yeah. But also, but I look at that, I'm like, okay, he's doing it. And I look at her and I say, I don't know right. how, how she did you pull is doing off? this. Right. I, that is so, it's so hard to do for such a long time. Nicholson's yeah. performance is also like iconic. And I mean that in like, he feels like an icon or, yeah. you know, like, whereas she's giving this just like insanely emotional performance. Not, yeah. He's, it, it, they're very, very different. I don't know. She's really good. Everyone's good in this movie. I agreed. The think you should leave thing, right? Yeah. I, I went down rabbit hole watching Robert Duvall interviews recently. Uh, well, you know, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, now one of our last sort of living elder statesmen of that. Uh, I mean, era. don't even fucking bring him up because you'll probably, I you'll know. probably die. It's worrying. Yeah. It's worrying, especially with the way we've been losing a lot of the greats recently. Well, I mean, like, I mean, this is the thing. Someone was like, I can't believe all these guys are dying. I'm like, they're all, like, what I know. are you supposed to I know. do <laughs> I know, it just, we're, it, we're like getting to a generation yeah, of man. more celebrities existed. 
which means more iconic people are able yes. to die in greater That's numbers. That's part of it. And then it's also... There used to be fewer movie stars. Yeah, yeah no, right. you're right. You're right. Go on. Um, but I... Uh, yeah, I don't know how to tell everybody this. Everyone that created something you liked will die. They will die at some point. They will die. Yeah, yeah. And if you're lucky, you die before them. You don't have to yeah. grief them. All right. what, make um, Colbert did an extended like Robert Duvall episode sometime last year where he okay. like went to his fucking ranch in Montana and talked to him for like 30 minutes That's right cool. it's really cool and Colbert just kind of keeps on pushing him going like okay but how do you act so well and he's like I don't know I read the script and then I say the things and he's like but what's your process he's like I don't know I just act like he's one of those guys who's very unfussy about it and he sort of says, like, but what is the secret? Like, what makes you so good? And Duvall puts it this way that it's just been ringing in my head, but it, it kind of nails it where he's just like, it's about understanding your basic temperament. Like, who are you? What is your temperament? What, what are you feeling that day? And not allowing yourself to reach outside of that. So whatever is on the page that you have to find a way to dramatically depict that day, you don't want to push for something outside of where you're feeling at that moment. You want to find a way to do the best version with the emotion you have in you at that point. Mm -hmm. And a thing that I think links Tim Robinson and Jack Nicholson is they're two guys who can go so fucking big, have these crazy outbursts, but it never feels like they're pushing. It somehow feels like that's within their basic temperament. Are we still temperament. Tim Robinson? <laughs> no, because it is this thing when you're talking about, like, does well, it ruin this performance, right? Yeah. I think the unified thing, and Tim Robinson uses it for comedy, but that with Nicholson, you're just like, he's able to go fucking humongous, and you never feel like this guy's overacting. You're like, somehow he has this access to, like, yes. mania in a second. And there's a, a clip from the, the Vivian Kubrick documentary. Mm. Which is, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that people study to go, like, were they torturing Shelley Duvall? Right, right. But there's a moment where he's there with his script and he's, like, sort of underlining just his character name on his lines with, like, a check mark. And he goes, like, I stole this from Boris Karloff. I saw that Karloff used to mark his lines this way. And I started doing it. And then the camera pans up and he's, like, and much like Karloff, I can go mad at any second. And you're just like, oh, he literally can just... Like, turn that on. Right, and it doesn't feel, like, goofy. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Right. And it, it is that thing with him where you're just like, oh, he had this very broad canvas and could go bigger than most actors could without it ever feeling like a, like a push. Like, it was outside of his basic temperament. What's yeah. the point? The ben, fucking ben. making of... There's a whole bit with him brushing his teeth in the bathroom. Yeah. Right, before going to set. And then... That day, right, when they're they're shooting that little moment, he then goes and grabs an axe and starts swinging it at a yeah. fucking door and is like, he just goes from like a normal funny guy to being so I mean, fucking he, unhinged. Yeah. He famously like broke the door down more than they thought right. he could. Like, because he used to be a fireman as well. I think he like, he knew what he was doing. There's the yeah. story too that like on A Few Good Men, he did every single take of the you can't handle the truth scene where there's like, you know, coverage of 15 different right. people in that courtroom. He sitting in the, you know, in the court martial. He the, did off camera for everyone's right. like fucking takes and he did full energy every time. And Rob Ryan would go up to him and go like, Jack, very generous kind of you, but you don't need to do that for like fucking Demi Moore's coverage. It's fine. And he'd just go like, I love acting. <laughs> like he was just like, this is the good part. You know, I enjoy this. Like he's one of those Hot guys take. who just seem to have kind of endless energy. 
never got tired of doing the thing. I mean, you hear the stories about like when Bob Rafelson was writing Head with him, mm-hmm. another uh, recently departed legend. Rip. Uh, where he thought like, I'm going to be more of a writer-director, maybe I'll act a little bit. And as they were writing the script, Nicholson would like get up and act out every part and he'd be like, why the fuck is this guy a movie star? Like anything yeah. he starts embodying, he'd do an impression of a dog and I'd be like, this guy's so fucking compelling. You know, where it's like, you can give him a role like this where it's like, by the way, at the end, all bets are off, nothing's too big. And it, it remains somehow a little bit grounded. It really, I, I think your point is a good one that like when Tim Robinson does the thing where he like tilts his head 90 degrees and right. starts going, do you? Do you really right. think that that's, <laughs> you actually believe that that is what. That's he, the thing. How That's right. the magic. And I, I agree I, with that, but I am now calling, we will not talk about Tim Robinson anymore. We've not discussed okay. The Shining enough. Tim Robinson, the Jack Robinson of his generation. <laughs> no, I'm retiring him. His <laughs> number's getting pulled up to the raft. <laughs> Jesus. The when last Indiana coffin <laughs> has flopped. We are moving on. Wow. <laughs> He's done. We can't keep, someone's eventually going to send it to him being like, do you realize you're compared to Nicholson for like 25 minutes? <laughs> the memes, podcast? the Reddit's going to go fucking wild on this one. Either yes. putting like Nicholson photos with, I don't want to be around anymore. Right. This is why I was almost worried to bring it up. Because I, know. I don't want to. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. All right. The Shining. The Shining. We've obviously been talking about The Shining. Obviously. Yeah. I, I mean, know, maybe do we talk about Danny I, a I, little here's, bit? Here's the thing I want to say. I don't know. This is the thing I want to say, because it gets into this whole... <laughs> we mentioned what happens in the movie. Yeah, you know, uh, we could do that. Can we know. talk about Scatman <laughs> Crothers? Kubrick, Kubrick's a little bit of fucking freaky deaky. Because he fucking puts... Like, as you go at, in Scatman Crothers' Miami apartment, mm-hmm. sure. you have, like, the naked woman... Pope picture above yeah, his yeah, TV. Yeah. Sure. And then in the reverse shot, there's another fucking giant naked woman picture yeah. above him. Yeah. Well, this guy's a fucking hound dog. I mean, he's a hound dog. He's having fun. Yeah. He's, he's like good energy. He's having a good time. Uh, no, the thing I want to say about Danny, uh, I guess talk about this whole thing. Of the like, actor's called Danny Lloyd, and it's basically the only thing he ever did. Yeah. yeah. He makes a cameo in Dr. Sleep. He does. Yeah, yeah. He's like, but like, He's in the he's stands like in a of the baseball, baseball game or exactly. whatever. Right. right. Yeah. I think it's the the Jason, Jacob Tremblay uh, scene. Jacob Tremblay, another actor who, by all accounts, can kind of just turn it on, turn it off. He's incredible in Doctor Sleep. Like, yeah, incredible. Um, you ever worked with Trems? No, never worked with Trems. One day I want I want someone to give me a Trems anecdote. I know. Uh, go on. What were you going to say about Danny? Danny, I, I I struggle with kid actors. I just like with like with like this kind yeah. of kid actor where it's like it's not like he went on to become a grown-up actor, and you're like, oh, how interesting. You're just like, what an interesting, you know, they did a great job conjuring a performance out of a kid. No, like, this is what I've got been, a great look. This is know? what I was going to say, because the whole conversation of, like, uh, Kubrick breaking people, does he have to force these performances out of them? What is it? He was very adamant that, like, this kid did not know he was in a horror movie. They talk about that a lot, right? He built this like it was a drama. Right. I, like, found ways to get the shots I needed out of him without ever submitting him to the reality of this film. Right. They were, like, very protective of this kid. Yeah, totally. And then this kid seemingly had good parents, and they were like, you're not going to do this for the rest of your great, life. Great, great, great. Yeah. I, I, true, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I say this as a joke, but I actually kind of mean it. I don't think children should be allowed to do this. Yeah. I, I think that you, you should have to, you should have to play, you have, babies should be played by 18-year-old people. 
you're just I, and I know what you mean. Like it's yeah. just like child acting is just kind of inherently exploitative, no matter yes. how much control yeah. you put yes. on it. Even yes. in the best circumstances, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. it's not it's not a great idea. I also think, like at the very least, my my thought has always been, you get to do one. Yeah, yeah. yeah if yeah. you're a kid, you do one job and then you got to move on. Right, we can't. The reuse. second it becomes a career, you become, and you're right, spending yeah. too much time in this adult world yeah. and all of that. Uh, yeah. What's his dude for that ran that show? Ran's uh, Sons of Anarchy and his writer on the Shield, Kurt uh, Sutter. Kurt Sutter. Sutter. Yeah, he talked about like his kids were like yeah, they were like they were like yeah. what if your kids want to go in because I think he's married to Katie Siegel. Yes, yes, and they have kids together. And um, he was like, yeah, they can absolutely act if they want. They're in a high school; they can do high school plays. Yeah. But they, they're right. not they're stepping not. on a set until right. they are legal adults and they can make that choice. Right. Yeah. And and this is like, this is a happy story where it's like, here's a kid who gives a great performance, an iconic film. Yes. Everyone on the crew in the making of the film went out of their way to not let this traumatize him. And then he pretty much retired and he's a school teacher and, and he's, he's very happy. And he's great in this yeah, movie. He is. He is. He's it's great. just very natural. And like. There's just something about the way his face, re you know, the, those reaction yeah. shots they get out of him. It's a little sickly. Like, they put a little, I think, like, yeah. rouge under his eyes or something. Yeah. It's just like he's got a little... David's doing the face. To do Danny. Yeah. I mean, the big wheel scenes are just, like, my favorite. It's like, I could just watch that for hours. It's... It's unbelievable. It's, it's truly hypnotic thing of yeah. right of the carpet and then you need the wood floor. Yes, the, the carpet yeah. and the... Oh, I love it. So, when I was looking... At the special features, there was a commentary with people who worked behind the scenes, yeah, like camera operators, and it said the inventor of yeah. the Steadicam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his this name was is early Garrett enough Brown. in the run of the Steadicam. Uh, to give you the, was, I'll give you the Steadicam research because it is important, right? Like, Bound uh, for Glory is the first one, right? Uh, correct. That's the first time it's used. Um, and Kubrick, I guess, had been sent a demo reel, like mm -hmm. even before then. And writes a long letter back being like with lots of questions where he's like, you need to, uh, he actually gave notes on the reel where he's like, you can see a shadow of the person using it and it's going to give it away. So, uh, you know, to protect your patent, you should delete that from your reel. Wow. And he also is like, is there a minimum height at which it can be used? He has like lots of questions. Yeah. And he calls it like a magic carpet, which is really cool. I think that's a really fun way to you know describe it and um garrett brown who invented it does all operates the camera for all the city cam shots like yep. john alcott's the dp of this movie but um who's works on other kubrick's mm -hmm. but like that that's all garrett brown and it just sounds really cool like i mean what you know what garrett brown says about him what really demanding lots of takes hmm. um <laughs> 50 to 70 takes of you know going down a fucking hallway i mean there's that amazing people have talked about it for a million years the steady cam's really important it's kind of like a character in the movie like what am yeah. i like it's so hard to talk about shit like this no it is it is there it, there's uh uh the moment that I, th I think is pretty directly lifted from this even though it looks different in you better not uh, bring up i think you should leave in that episode of Camp Peel, uh, uh, which no, episode? no, in 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 Zodiac, yeah, it's one of the killings. Uh, it's like the the car killing where you have that extended overhead yeah. uh, shot um, that I think is done entirely in CGI. But Fincher steals that move of like when the car turns a corner, uh, the camera somehow turns with the car remaining right. perfectly placed in the center of the frame. Yeah. And it does make you feel like, oh, there's like some sort of uneasy, yeah, otherworldly like presence. Yeah, right, yeah. which I think is really taken from this, where it's like the speed at which the camera is able to adjust every time he turns a corner and he remains perfectly centered in the frame. 
makes you feel uneasy. And the other thing is like the difference between the carpet and the wood, it's that thing where when you're a kid and you're able to like let your mind run off of so little, you can just start imagining where you're just like, yes. oh, this game of the difference of the sound, right? How much carpet do I have left before I hit wood? And how different does the wood sound than the carpet? It's like, yeah, you can spend six hours doing that when you're a kid and never get bored of it. That would be, if I was in the, the mansion, that's what, something I would be doing. Yeah, you'd kill it. I'd be riding around. You'd break his fucking records. He'd eat your dust. <laughs> it's also funny, like, I mean, it was a, a thing, and I should mention, only 90s kids will understand this, but <laughs> watching this movie for the first time when I was in high school or whatever and going like, oh, the opening to Bobby's World is a reference to this. Mm. That's weird. It's because is, is Bobby on a big wheel in Bobby's yeah, world? Yeah, the opening credits of Bobby's world are Bobby on a big wheel running through his like family home and everyone like jumping out of the way. Right. And it so clearly has to be an homage to this, but you're like, that's a pretty cursed thing to put in the middle of your cartoon about a little boy with a big imagination. Yeah, he's on the big wheel. There he goes. He's on the big wheel. How he's yeah. fucking weird. I don't know how he does. Yeah, how he do it. I don't know how he do it. <laughs> What are some things in The Shining we haven't discussed yet? Uh, we did I discuss a, Bear Blowjob. I want to give a shout out to the costumer because at one mm. point they go straight from, there's that one shot of Jack Nicholson in the green turtleneck where he's just kind of staring blankly out the window and it's like the moment where it's like, all right, so he's gone crazy. Mm -hmm. It's happened. They cut right from that to that yellow coat that she wears and it's such a fucking amazing coat. Oh my it's god! Such an amazing coat. So I want to just I want to throw out those two specific uh, costuming choices are just great, dude. That whole fit, like I wrote that down too. The, it's like it's fit. like a the yellow fit. chore coat with like this beautiful embroidery on yeah. it, and then she's wearing like very now hip straight kind of like. Uh, denim jeans mm. with like moccasins that is like yeah one of the best the looks fact that, the, like that you're like uh, uh, Shelly Duvall fit watch right there oh yeah yeah it's also I mean, Jack's got some cardigans too I was gonna say it's one of those movies where at least the three Torrance characters anyone who walked into a bar in Bushwick wearing any outfit they wear in this movie would be the coolest person at the bar even Danny yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm saying, even Danny. But all, all three of them, like the, all the, the space sweater, love that thing. I was good, and all the weird Shelly Duvall like sweaters. I'm just like all of these. You just be like, where did you find that? I want to throw out one one shot that I made a note of without revealing too much about myself, but feeling very comfortable with you all. That there is a great moment okay. where, um, and it sort of has to do with like the t I like how the titles of the timing become more and more frenetic because yeah. it starts out like you know the interview and then one month later and then all of a sudden it's, it's like eight a.m. eight a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. whatever. Right. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at one point when it's like a one month later, she's bringing uh, breakfast up to mm. Jack in the in, in the, in big the old room. room, yeah, and he's like slept until eleven thirty, and just immediately you're like, "Oh fuck, depressed dad!" Right. Yeah, immediately. Yeah, and and there is a moment later on where where Danny has to go up and get something out of the room, and she's like, "Just don't wake up, just don't wake up your dad. He was up late." And there is just this. Uh, Danny comes into the room, and you can see. Uh, Jack in the reflection of the mirror and he has this sort of nice scene with with Danny and there was something that I liked about 
the mirror being there in that he he's only seeing who he is. Jack is only seeing who he is in that moment and sort of what he's become is because his son is the mirror. Like only by oh, sure. looking at his right. son does he realize who he is and who he's become. And it yeah. kind of leads to a nice moment between them. Right. And I just wanted to throw that out. That was just something like the fact that there is a, a literal mirror there and then the sort of metaphoric figurative mirror of the child there. I don't know. I liked that. Yeah, that's good. I love that. I don't know how it would fit into like, I think you should leave, but I like that shot where Jack Nicholson's looking out the window and the camera just kind of looks at him and you're like, Oh, this guy's going crazy. Yes. That shot's pretty cool. I think that's the green turtleneck shot. Yes. Yeah. It's just just thinking of some crazy shots. I mean, Jack Nicholson's face is just designed for the Kubrick stare. It is. As much as he had all of his actors do that pretty much. It's like he's just got the right dimensions, that forehead, those eyebrows. The way his hair is. Yeah. It's moving. Kind of, yeah. Looks kind of animalistic slightly. He writes this book, but it's all just the same word over and over again. Terrible book. Terrible book. Oh, um, yeah, I wanted to say the poor fucking PAs. Yes. That having to write all that shit. Must have spent yeah. fucking hours because you know Kubrick is such a psycho. Yeah, they're yes. like, can we Xerox it? And he's like, yeah. uh, no. The spacing's <laughs> wrong. And it's also like, whatever, it's a stack of 50. Yeah. They Or no, let's say a stack of 200. Yeah. It's not like he asked them to do 200 pages, right. Just, but 100, if not 150. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. Yeah. And yeah. like, she's going through them and right. they did 50 takes and, and the some of those pages the like you can't every one them. of them needs to be real they kind of look yeah. crumpled you right now they need to be clean right oh my god there probably god. were thousands god yeah typed up yeah manually by hand do you think it was manual though well because they because they had yeah, because they look different so they have to have yeah kinda, yeah, yeah. I, here's yeah. one thing that i'll say about and it's i don't want to be psychologically manipulated so i'm not asking for this mm-hmm. but as like this, there was one director that I worked with who I loved working with, but was one of those people that like did a bunch of a bunch, a bunch, a bunch mm-hmm. of takes. And you you do kind of disassociate. Yeah. But what it does is allows like you almost blow something up so completely it doesn't make sense anymore. And then it can become something else. That's the way Fincher talks about it. That his whole thing is like it's not psychological manipulation. I'm very direct about what it is. I like getting to the point where you know the line so well yeah. and you've gotten out of your system any preconceived notions you had of how you would play this scene. The intent of the scene is bone deep and now suddenly you're free to just like play it any way that comes to you in the moment. And I do kind of, I do kind of enjoy that. But in the same way that like it must suck for the PAs to type that many things. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I want to balance this by saying like everybody, nobody has to, nobody should have to work 20 hours a day. No one has to suffer. Like, like, nobody should have to suffer for all of it, but there is a reason, there is a point at which something becomes good because you put that much work into it. Yeah. The Shining is incredible and they did 70 takes for each thing. Right, right. You know what I I mean? mean, The the Shining is beyond incredible. It is like a, a landmark work of its medium or yes. whatever like yeah. they will always be remembered forever and ever and copied and thought about or, you know, it's, it's like beyond what you're like eh, it'll be remembered forever and it's, you know it's <laughs> well, this I landmark just film there is a, <laughs> it is beyond whatever masterpiece level you want to reach sure. it's it's a, on some higher echelon where yeah. it's like no 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 you've made like a thing that's just etched into the collective memory that's, right. that's hard 
but, but you know, I, it's like I, it is Shining and yeah. Assassin's Creed, <laughs> right? <Church laughs> the top tier. It's what's <laughs> so Ralph, difficult about Wreck Kubrick, Ralph. though, where you're like you have so many people who f- try to follow his example, misunderstand, mm-hmm. are not able to execute the same level as him. You know, like they're they're taking the wrong lessons from him for the wrong reasons and applying them incorrectly and then justifying the sort of difficulties that they put people through as like, well, this is what Kubrick did. Right. I'm like Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not. No. Here's the here's here's the thing. Boy, howdy, you are not like Kubrick. You are not. You are not. And like, you know, it's we'll devote an entire episode to this on Patreon, but it's one of those things that I appreciate so greatly about Dr. Sleep where I'm like, as opposed to a lot of guys who self-style themselves as like, well, I'm a Kubrickian filmmaker. I feel like that is not Flanagan's default mode or style. I think when he needs to, he replicates the Kubrick style incredibly well in that movie without right. it feeling like forced pastiche. Like it actually feels like a direct no, 100%. invocation of the yeah. thing. Yeah, and yeah, also yeah. all stories you hear about him are like super chill, collaborative, low-key guy. That he didn't feel like I have to Kubrick the shit. We'll talk about that movie, but it's also crazy how it has to thread paying some homage to Kubrick, but yeah. then also like being a sequel to a book that is like I hate the movie The Shining like, <laughs> right. you know like Stephen King's like I'm gonna write a movie a, a sequel to The Shining and boy do I not bring up that fucking that's where movie I go, like, like, you almost just have to automatically give that movie a masterpiece that, well, stamp that, just the, for doing both things at the same time but that's also when it came out why I think everyone was like what like, what is this how do I deal with this right uh, you cast someone else as Jack Nicholson but it looks like Jack Nicholson like what is this like yeah. anyway we'll talk about it later uh, what do you guys think about the scene where he goes into room 237, he sees a naked lady, and she's all sexy, but then she looks scared? Well, but even, you talk about the fucking Kubrick thing, it's like, the strings are swelling, her walk is too slow, mm-hmm. I'm never turned on by this. This is the least on? I've ever liked seeing a naked oh, I lady say on screen. No, see, I don't, because I'm just, it's, it's the fucking, the weird shining rhythms where it's like, this feels wrong. It feels wrong, and also, again, it's the... I've got the movie queued up. I'm just looking at... See, right when now. you show me a still image like that, I'm like, oh, yeah, boobs, love them. Oh. But I'm watching the movie. I was trying to say... Well, I mean, I think you're right, but it's also... It's the framing of it where you're like... You almost feel like he's in, like, a death chamber or something. Like, yeah. there's just something really frightening about the symmetry of it. But also, her walk is so fucking slow. You're like, what's wrong? If I walk wrong? into a hotel room that's abandoned, yeah. and I see a naked lady, I'll tell you what I'd do. What? Walk slowly towards her. And give her a kiss. David! <laughs> you just give her a little... Good behavior, right? David, you you're a bad That's true. But no, I know, I mean, like, I'm like, I might be like, one, there's also the, the impulse to be like, oh, I'm sorry, and leave. But also, <laughs> two, like the, uh, oh, uh, yeah. no one's in this hotel. You're, you You're a ghost. Right. <laughs> Goodbye. And she like very quickly turns into Henrietta from Evil Dead 2. Yeah, and she's like, eh. Another thing about that scene is that my memory of it... Yeah. Is that they that they went to the room five times? Yeah, and we saw that naked lady eight times, and the old scary crazy woman that that she becomes is kind of always around. It's the same thing. There's so much less of the twins than you remember there being. Yes, there's so and much also, less of everything. And not yes. only that, they don't matter. Obviously, they right. they matter, but it's not like at the end, Jax has to fight the twins right. and the lady <laughs> and the and like or like meet them all again, or they all come together, and it's like, and here's what happened here. It's like, yeah. no, no. Just a crazy hotel filled with ghosts. Right. All kinds of shit happened here. You know what? You know what has no bearing on the movie? A bunch of blood coming out of the elevators. Oh, that's it's just, just good too. fucking scary. Right. Um, no, that's actually 
It's a thing that happened. A, a, a bunch of blood checked into the hotel and lived yeah. there for a while. It's just actually <laughs> there was a blood convention. Yeah, right, it, exactly. it was. It had uh, lost its key and yeah, had gone all like, the way up to the room. It's like it it's really in a way when like a river shows up. They're yeah. like, oh, fuck this year. The blood is right. coming. This they is were be trying, a nightmare. They were trying to get to room twenty four A B conference room twenty four A B, which like, is can we can the we, guest speaker? Can we have him knock? His money's good. Okay. The blood guy pays. It's blood money. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, what else do you there. expect them to have? <laughs> right. I hope you're wearing red pants. <laughs> you're going to hide all that blood money in your pocket. They only did three shots of the blood. That is that, that is one of those things where everyone's like, that's one of the ones where Kubrick didn't actually fuck He showed us. a little compassion in the blood where he's like, it might be tough for them to do multiple takes. Here's one thing that I'll say. I wish they had bolted down that one chair. Oh, that, that moves around. You yes, don't like it, sure. okay? I, I I think that it was like I kind of like it just because it f- makes it feel natural and so or mis- mistaken. I don't know. I like that. Okay, I like that it breaks the cube brick like everything control. Like, yeah, like, totally control. Okay, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, don't I know. just I just wanted. I, to throw I, I know. That. I know what you mean. That every time you watch the shot, you're like, it's funny that the chair moves. Yeah. What, ben, yeah, what do you want to say? We're talking about some dang ghosts, right? We're yeah. framing it. It's like. This is just a story about ghosts in a hotel, and I think we need to shout out to or just mention that the hotel in itself is kind of a character kind of alive. Yes. So you're saying the, 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 the hotel is a character in the movie, kind of like New York is a character in Sex in the That's City what or whatever. Kind of okay. okay. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Should have been the billing Nicholson Duvall Hotel. Hotel. <laughs> hotel played by hotel. Yeah. Which is kind of the vibe of Dr. Sleep. Like at the end, the third act, they're like, and you missed him. Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> He's here. <laughs> What's the, uh, uh, it's what? The Timberline Lodge, correct? Is the, yeah. Yes, which is in Oregon. It's, it's just the outside. That's the all the inside. It's right. just sets and it's mostly based on um, uh, the, uh, the Awani Hotel yep. in the Yosemite. Yeah. It's also just something about the hotel where every, it doesn't feel congruous. Like there's like a massive gold room and then there's, you know, like the big lobby that feels a little more like Native American and has like kind of like a totally different aesthetic. And then like the bathroom is all red and white and it looks like a futuristic bathroom in a way. Like every room feels a little, which I love, like. Well, it is that weird thing. Like most uh, movies you hear about like, oh, the exterior was one place. This was shot in a set. This was shot here. Like the rooms are piecemeal constructed from different places. If it's an office building, if it's a home, whatever it is, right? Where you're like, oh, we're all Tannenbaums. Each of those rooms was somewhere in an entirely different part of town because he found this bedroom looks right, right but sure, it's in sure, a different sure. building or whatever. And usually magic of movies, you accept it all in your head. It all threads together. And this is almost like making the most out of like, no, these things wouldn't fit together. The the transitions between room to room, hallway to hallway or whatever. It's like there's too much going on in each individual space. There's, and it's hard to place them all as part of one continuous structure in your head. There's a teddy bear blowjob happening. In there is a teddy bear blowjob. We haven't talked about that enough. How do we feel about all those ghosts at the end? Fucking love it. Wait, was that always in the original movie? Yeah. All of those yeah. were really yeah. yeah. I it was something that I had weirdly erased Wait, from my eye. You don't remember Teddy Bear forgotten Bob? about? All. I don't remember uh, the head wound guy. The guy's like huh. the thing about oh, him. Yeah, that guy's scary. the thing about him that's interesting is that it's Wendy who sees him, and of yeah. course, like Jack is obviously the one who's mostly seeing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when Wendy sees him, you do have this sense of like it's all kind of bleeding out right now. Like they're all coming out because like shit's going down. Yeah, yeah. Batman's dead. Maybe Scatman dying. They're like, all right. All right. <laughs> like, 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 <laughs> but on. like Wendy sees him, it's weird. And he's just yeah. like, Ooh, which I love. Love that well, guy. She's, she sees 
all of those ghosts eventually. Yeah, right. Like it's just like she only right at the end is she starting to see him too. I feel like right, I, I, but. To Ben's Skeletons point, in the cobweb is like fucking. Are you afraid of the dark? I wasn't. Bit. I will. I like. You're looking at me for backup, and I will back you up on this a little bit, Ben. <laughs> I think you. that maybe the skin. Who am I to say anything against Stanley no, Kubrick? No, I kind of agree with you in that. I, I, sorry, I'm not. I'm I, like, I think you know, those no, you're skeletons speaking. maybe are a little bit like uh, we're, we're we don't really have a lot of money left. Who are you to say to three months? And... <laughs> who are you to say this is an expert opinion coming from the tenth build lead of Goosebumps? You have all the Tim. Are you in Goosebumps? I am. I oh play. My God, I gotta play see a that movie. Cop. Right. You're the cops who doesn't take anything seriously, right? Don't bother me with these goosebumps, kids. <laughs> don't, don't I got coffee to that drink. That was one of my famous lines. Yes. Was, don't bother me with these goosebumps, kids. Yeah. Hey, uh, kids, don't bother me. That was one of the first times that I felt um, uh, like kind of famous was oh, when wow. one of the kids at my at my kid's daycare yeah. was like, uh, was like, hey, are you in Goosebumps? And I was like, that movie's kind of spooky for somebody your age. And they were like, yeah, but I'm tough. And I was like, all right. Yeah, cool. Fucking rad. You, you won you... over the, the yeah. toughest kid in your Did you read all the Goosebumps? Children's preschool. Did you read any Goosebumps? Did you yeah, like... How did you, did you go on research? I was, I think, about a year too old for Goosebumps. Yes. I was, in the I same was the way that I was like a couple years too young for 90210, I was oh, a couple. Sure. Yeah, no, I was in yeah. that no, I very weird. And you were like a teenager or whatever, and it was sort of like, eh, yeah, it was that's like too... it's a little too young for me. I was like yeah. obsessed with goosebumps. Yeah. God. Were you? Oh, are you kidding me? God, I love the goosebumps. But I think I that's goosebumps. one of the things that I brought to the production is that I just oh, didn't. I was kind of like the Scatman Crothers of the <laughs> Goosebumps set. You know what I mean? Like I, I wasn't there like paying homage to the no. old masters. No. You're like, I'm here to do my own work. I think the thing about my, my own legacy. I'll say this. I love that she goes into the lobby and it's covenly, it's suddenly covered in cobwebs. Uh -huh. Like, that's cool. Mm -hmm. The skeletons, maybe Skellington. it's the only, Skellingtons, it's the only, like, hat on a hat thing of, like, I was already creeped out sure. and this is almost, almost out of the monsters or whatever. <laughs> like, like <laughs> yeah. it was, it's not really, but, like, it's one of those images in The Shining that whenever I rewatch the movie, I'm like, oh, right, Skeleton Room. Yeah, I forgot about that It's a one. little bit like the haunted houses that uh, that I would go to, like, in a small town in Maine when they'd be like, well, what does this room have? Ooh, some skeletons. And it's just one skeleton that heads <laughs> turn. <laughs> yeah. turns toward you. Yeah. To Ben's point, though, it just reminded me, he asked if the uh, bear blowjob was always in the movie. The two notable sort of cuts of this film. Yes, go on. Yeah. There was the original ending that he cut out pretty quickly, but that did screen originally, right? Where there was sort of the epilogue. There, there's like an ex explanation. Wendy scene. and yes. it's sort of the end of Psycho. Um, which I love the end of Psycho and I defend it, but I think Kubrick was kind of correctly like, they don't need Wendy and Danny in the hospital and the, right. the guy. The guy's like, your husband froze to death or whatever. But yeah. we never found the body. How weird. Right. Yeah. And it was like, oh, don't explicitly get into did this happen or not shit. They were like, it's better to leave it all elusive. There's also something around a scrapbook of photos that was <laughs> also something that was shot, but got cut out. That's is you see it in the final cut still on his sure. desk. Yes. It's a photo album uh, that he discovers sort of midway into the movie that shows a picture of him. That shows that picture right. of him. Right, oh, okay. right, yes. right. It's, it's, um, it's in the book, but uh, yeah, they, 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 whatever. I think Kubrick kept erring on the side of like no explanation. Yeah. Like, wait, like the less the better. Like it has to be for so long. Because he's basically like until... 
the door, the meat locker door opens and he comes out, you can still be like, this is all in his head. Right. Yeah. That's when you have to be like, well, okay. Like, yeah. you know, something supernatural opened that door. Yeah. Um, but he loves that. And, and David wouldn't understand this, but the other thing is, uh, in the UK, mm. the movie was not playing well. And Kubrick himself cut 30 minutes. He cut it like way it. down. He cut it to like two hours. And it's some like people and prefer that cut. Yeah. Which I've never seen. Not me. Um, but it is an interesting thing. It was like he himself at the same time was like, well, I want the movie to play well. You know, it wasn't like a, a sort of forced studio concession. And he just has a cut that just like gets to the point faster. That some people swear by. Um, yeah. Ready Player One, they, they go to the hotel. They have a fun sequence in there. Yeah, that's bizarre. I really love that sequence. Uh, you one of these days, I, I, you now forced me to fucking rewatch this movie at some point. Huge fan of that movie. Um, and obviously Kubrick and Spielberg very close. And, sure. You know, he's like, me. Eh. They're doing a TV show called Overlook. Oh, yeah. Maybe that'll never happen. But like one of those like classic HBO announces like, it, over, you know, Hotel Origins, you know, get pumped, 10 episodes. Is, is, is Mark <laughs> One Romanek, hour of plot. Is Mark Romanek 12? doing it, or was he previously attached to do some version? Mark Romanek? Yeah. Who's, who's so badly wants no, to be Kubrick. No, he... It, that, it's like a doomed prod. It's like one of right. his many, like... Right. Uh, it was going to be called the Overlook Hotel. Right. This is now a different kind thing. of cool, but... Right. Uh, what's the name of Scatman's character again? Scatman's character in The Shining? Yes. The character that he plays? Yes. Oh, Halloran. Dick Halloran. That's, so that's the other thing. When they were making Doctor Sleep and they were so bullish on, like, this is going to be a fucking blockbuster, they had Flanagan write a Halloran movie. Oh, Jesus. Because they were like, fucking Shining Expanded Universe, let's do all of this. And then the second the movie bombed, they were like, shelf. Um, but, but another thing that's probably better left unsaid. I mean, I, I feel like it... it Always, anytime they would sort of talk about doing any Shining follow-up, it was like, hubris, don't do it, you're going to fail. And Dr. Sleep does it so well. It does it so well. And bombed and was only sort of half well-received when it came out, where I'm like, don't do it. You're never going to do it better than this, and this didn't even work. See, I though think... At the, at the time. I yeah. think that all work and no play make... John, like that would be a really great movie. Do you know? What oh, I just mean? adapt the book. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Come just, on, just take that. Yeah, straight from the source. Hollywood yeah. announces IP, great IP. It's in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> Sean Anders. Everyone loves the movie. It's yeah, a, right. family it's like a family comedy. Comedy, right? Yeah. Right. Um, what do you guys make of the closing shot where where Jack Nicholson's in the the picture? But it's from a long ago. I'm just trying to do the thing where I like reference moments in The Shining that are famous now. It's funny that people like talk about that being so elusive. And I still find like the ending of 2001 confusing and have a hard time even coming up with a thesis in my head that like tracks. The Whereas, ending of 2001 is just like, man, this shit's just gonna here's keep on going, shit. baby. No, right. it's just like the ball keeps rolling. Yeah. What can I tell you? Uh, well, spoilers. Yep. Um, for an episode we've already recorded. Sure. Well, By this point, even though we have it in real life. Yeah. Um, the ending of this, I'm just like, oh, it's sort of like that's where everyone's cursed to. Yeah. It's right. not He's like, trapped. oh, he was literally there before. No, I think I he was literally like, there before. That's what's weird about Kubrick's rejection of, of the idea of hell or whatever, mm. where I'm just like, that night is weirdly the frozen in time night that repeats itself in a continuum in this hotel. It's the cursed night. And if you become a victim to this hotel, you're like stuck there. Right? That's how I take it. 
I, I, that's how I take it too. But maybe he was at the July Fourth Ball in nineteen twenty-one or whatever. Maybe he's a time traveler. I mean, obviously, it's that. Maybe shot. he's a quantum leaper. Oh, I read something that was no. He can't be a quantum his... leaper because in the picture he would appear as the person that he led you're right. into. So, yeah, so quantum, that, that quantum leap logic does stupid. not yeah. apply. Just trying to think of anything else. Uh, did I mention the little girls who say, "Come play with me"? Creepy. Big wheel. Mm-hmm. Come blood, on. Is there anything blood, else? Blood elevator. It's just funny. Red rum. Red rum. We talked. Yeah, we talked about red rum. Crash zooms are just always so effective with that fucking Wendy Carlos music. It's so scary. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, Wendy Carlos rules. You know. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good movie. It's one of my favorite movies ever. I watch it all the time. If I'm ever like on vacation in like uh, the winter in like Vermont, like if I'm in some kind of cozy lodge. Sure. Uh, which my one of my best friends has a little ski house in like a little ski lodge in Vermont. Humble brag. I mean, it's very humble. So yes, the, the humblest uh, of brags. We always are like six hours into getting there. We're like, all right, let's really throw on the shining. Oh, <laughs> That's like oh. when I least want to watch the shining. Oh, I want to yeah. watch it. Although I will say, I mean, he's always been a big shining, but he's not a you know whatever cinephile or whatever. And then one time he was like, you know, Kubrick, I've seen X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I was like, have you ever seen Barry Lyndon? He was like, no. And I'm, I was like, I'm putting it on. And like 10 minutes in, he was like, what the fuck is this? And then I was like, don't worry. And we watched it. And then like he watched it like 10 more times. Yeah. And it was, that was just a nice memory. No. Oh. He just kept texting me being like, I can't stop watching that movie. I'm like, that's, you know, that's a movie. Story. Have you guys done 2001 yet? No. Uh, Record no, order. I mean, I did it. Jumping around. You know, I did it about 21 years ago. I had a good time. I was oh, 15 boy. years old. Yeah. Can't remember. Yeah, I saw Shrek four times. Yeah, right. Lord of the Rings the came interest. out yeah. that year. Right. Uh, I was a sophomore. Oops, I did it again. Oops, I did it again. Is that 2001? Yeah, right. Because Hit Me Baby One More Time is 99. Oops, I did it again is 2000. Fuck. Flat on your face. Fuck. Yeah, lucky? Her, yeah, lucky. Uh, or I'm a slave for you. I'm okay. a slave for you. Is 01? Is 01. I would have bet any That's amount of money that was two or three. It's yeah. Baby One More Time 99. Oops, 2000. Britney, which is the one with Emma Slayfie, right. which is kind of like a relaunch, is, is 2001. It was that brief. Right. Because, wow, because in they the really, zone is two zone or is three. three. Right. She took a break. Yeah. Her greatest hits are 04. She's been a pop singer for five years. It's incredible. All right. So quickly, I'll just share this. this is an Entertainment Weekly article with Johnson, the producer and writer, uh, is quoted. Diane Johnson. Uh, There is an explanation for the photo, though it's a bit strange and paradoxical because it's both real and unreal. The idea that Jack was always at the hotel in some earlier incarnation. Jack had somehow been the creature of the hotel through reincarnation. Right. It's like there's always going to be a... But that that to me is just... That's the poetry of it. It's like there'll always be some fucking person being tortured by this place. Right. Right. Like he's not... He's Grady, but he's also not Grady. And yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's why I like that Grady, when he meet, you're like, you imagine a most feral guy because you hear, like, oh my God, he like chopped up his kids and shot yeah. himself. And then he's like a posh butler type. Yeah. Like, you know, that's crew cool. That's yeah. creepy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Good movie. B plus. Yeah. I think good. Yeah. Good <laughs> two, out of, two knives yeah. out of 10. I already gave my grade. Good, scary movie. Yeah. No, I love it. I feel like you don't love it as much as I do. I um, feel like you've never been a shining. No, guy. I, I mean, you know, I'm less of a. Cooper. You're more of a Shining Time station. <laughs> well, yeah, that's my vibe. I mean, but uh, I feel like I'm less of a Cooper guy than most. But this mm. is at the very top tier for me, even still. I think I, I I like this movie a hell of a lot. I think I didn't realize how much you loved it, the scale at which you loved it. 
one of my faves. Yeah. No, but I, I'm a I'm a big ass fan of this movie. This is near the top for me. All right, you want to do the box office game? Tim, is there anything else in your notes? Come on, we're winding down. It's been a long... Uh, uh, just run down a couple... Please. Uh, just, uh, just Because you few... brought your laptop... I mean, you flew in to do this podcast and to go golf On your laptop. And brought your laptop in so you could consult your notes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guys, yeah. I wanted to... I was, I'm a hey. guest here. I wanted to be a good guest in your home, in hey. Ben's home. Ben's been amazing. Like Axe was a bit intense, but it's fine. We don't Look, need to an talk about repairs. it more. Don't, don't question Tim's right. method. Yeah. Whatever it takes okay. to get there. Right. I have to do... Whatever it takes me to get there, yeah. I am... It's kind of like a dainty job, and I need to... It's justified. It's justified. All All's right. fair in art. So there are no crimes. In that. I would say that there are like a couple things just going along with what I was really noticing was that that sort of like the domestic violence thing mm-hmm. is the uh, Jack's manipulation, especially when he's in the freezer or mm-hmm. in the in, in the dry goods when storage he's saying or whatever. Like, you really hurt me. I like, really yeah. hurt me. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like that. He yeah. It does a really good job of like he tries all the tricks to get like that sort of tracks with that thing. And also the fact that even as he's coming at her with like, you know, uh, I just, I'm she's just like, I just want to go back to my room. I just yeah. want to go back to my, like, she's like, I just want to think a little while, whatever that is. Like she is still trying to make it all. Okay. With and them, the yeah. only reason that he gets hit in the head with the bat is because she kind of accidentally brushes his hand with the bat. Right. Mm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like a, I'm going to take this moment to take control of this. It's a, oh, fuck, I hit him a little bit, which means now he's going to kill me unless I do this. Right. And I just thought that part of it was incredible. She rarely directly attacks him. When she hits him with a knife later, that's a mistake too, basically. Yeah. She's just kind of like flailing with it. She yeah. mostly just wants to get away from him. They yeah. kill him by running away from him. Yeah. He dies in the maze. Like, it's like, you know, again, you know, we could put snow on trial. We could, but I don't think she killed We could him. and we should. Yeah. We should. I, I, and also, like, that cut to him being frozen, incredible. I think that was generally all the stuff that I have from my notes. Yeah, that cut, I, I forgot how quickly they go from, like, him sort of, like, lurching through the maze to just hard cut. He froze. Yeah. yeah. I, the Simpsons, I really, that is the only problem. I had seen that episode like 50 times before. I feel like I'd seen so many parodies of but different the, elements of this. The Simpsons one is, oh, good. Yeah. It's but one I'll work and I'll play makes Homer something, something. Go crazy. Don't mind if I do. It <laughs> just always gets me. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. One thing that I love about movies like this is yeah. that no matter how many times they've been parodied, no matter yeah. how many times they've been you ate, can't, you can't hurt it. The power is rarely still there. No matter yeah. how many times they tried to make a sequel, like, you know, yeah. 100%. Bullet no matter how many times some asshole comes on a podcast and says, this is just like Tim Robinson, <laughs> yeah. it will never put a dent in how good and scary that movie is from the first moment to the very end. And the bones are their money. David, I... <laughs> bones are their money. The bones are their money. <laughs> Man, if you found a big old skeleton room, you'd be rich. <laughs> David. Yes. I, I saw, I was not trying to look up box office stuff. Oh, sure. But I did just see that, like, most of the Kubrick movies were kind of platformed. That they were like, well, this is this heady filmmaker. You have to build, like, slowly mm. the interest in this film. This movie was, like, 10 theaters opening weekend and then, like, 1,000. Like, they were like, this is a commercial This play. played more as, of course, it was famously nominated for two Razzies and got, like, mixed-ish reviews at the time. I feel like the Harvard Lampoon also, like, dubbed this the worst movie of the year. Like, a lot of people thought they were smarter than this film. 
People never behave that way. What are you talking about? Um, I just real quick, one more thing. Yeah. We've been going a long time. I'm very yeah. sorry. Yeah. No. In that it? scene, right before she hits him with the bat, he's gone crazy. Danny's been strangled by a ghost. And she says, I want to talk to you. And he says, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> Which so is funny. so funny yeah, and funny. so scary. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. The thing I think you're trying to reference, Griff, is this movie came out platform against the wide release of another very famous movie. The, Empire the most Back. successful movie of the year, right. The Empire right. Strikes Back. Which I was surprised that this was a like Memorial Day weekend. Correct. That's exactly when it is. Right. Release. I, I just would have assumed this movie came out in the fall or winter. You would, you would think you'd want to put this out in the winter. Yeah. It's set in the winter, yeah. famously. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, also a snowy movie. But no, True. it's for True. people... You know, fanning themselves. It was a very, to go to a cool air conditioning. Very snowy May at the at the cinemas that year. So number one is The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. New this week. Okay. Luke, I am your father. Yep. Spoiler alert. Uh-huh. Number two is a horror film. Why they? And I just it's it didn't say in the episode description it would have spoilers. Vampire Strikes Back. Well, sorry. I okay. wouldn't have listened to the episode if I knew they were just gonna spoil other movies. Okay. Is Truman Capote listening to yeah. our show? <laughs> I don't know. I, I found the film distasteful. Um, number two is a I horror cut film. Cut open a We I actually never mentioned this, you know, this franchise at the top. Uh, slasher film. Uh, is it the first Friday the 13th? Sure is. Wow. First Friday the 13th. Weird to think about them. Like, Isn't that crazy? Coexisting That's theaters insane. at the same time. So yeah. two, two very different, you know. Yeah. Things right alongside each other. They're shining. Those these two movies, Friday the Thirteenth and The Shining, opened up the same week. No, or they were just playing. Friday the Thirteenth had opened oh, maybe two weeks ago or whatever. Like it's been around. Empire and Shining are new this week. Wow. Uh, Friday Thirteenth just opened, and uh, yeah, you could could bounce from you know Star Wars over to but Jason. One of those over things Shining, where you're like, you know? those movies can't coexist. One of them must have flopped. How could audiences want both of them at the same time? It's bizarre. That's like, no, both of these work. This was a very, very solid opposite hit. ends. This of the is spectrum. like, you know, one of the true hits of Kubrick's career. Yeah. Obviously, like Spartacus is the biggest, but like, yeah, but you know, this was a big ass hit in 2001. But like, yeah. this is big. Um, Shining opening limited number three. Mm-hmm. Number four is a movie I've never heard of. I'm going to have to look it up. Let's mm. see. 1989. Uh, Dave's never heard of it. I've never heard of it. It's a teen comedy. Okay. Depicting crass and mischievous antics. Screwballs? Uh, Practical Jokes, a 1950s-era car club. This looks like a kind of American graffiti knockoff. Mischief? Sorry? sorry? Mischief? Is there mischief in the movie? I'm throwing out titles of movies I know that are like oh, this. It's not mischief. Okay. Uh, I will say this film stars an actor who you know personally. Who I know personally? Tim Simons? No. Actor who I know? Oh, 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 oh. Is it? Is it the, the Jackie Earl Haley? Nope. No? Fuck. Okay, when I say you know, you know him personally, I mean you've watched a lot of his television show with him on the internet. What? How many people have you done that with? How many people have you live streamed watching their TV show with them? Robert Wool's. Is it Hollywood Nights? It's the Hollywood Nights. Yeah. Robert Wool, Tony Danza, Michelle Pfeiffer, Fran Drescher. His character's name in that movie is like Pangborn Krillhorn or something. New Bomb Turk. Yeah. It's (laughs) one of the fucking name is that. It's one of the great movie character names. That was like an Animal House runoff. But it's like plays... set in the 50s. Yes. So I guess it's got like. Well, Animal House is set in the 60s? Actually, this is also set in the 60s. So there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So total uh, Animal but House. But yeah, right. uh, Robert Wall's playing like the uh, the Bluto type character. Right. You know what's um, incredibly weird? Never met Robert Wall. 
Right. You've only, that's why I did have to correct where I'm like, right. you're not like Jackie Earl Haley type friends where you actually no. work together. But, no, you know. I thought it was losing it maybe, which Jackie sure. Haley is in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway. Number four, at the, number four at the box office is The Hollywood Nights. Number five at the box office is the uh, film version of a sort of cult TV show hmm. of the moment. It's it, So it's a continuation of the show having been on air or is it no, much it's, later? It's, uh, is it a, The Nude Bomb? No. Oh, sorry. The show had just gone off the air. Okay. Okay. Um, it, but it's like not a narrative show. It's like a variety show. This is one of the famously awful movies. It's the Gong Show movie. The Gong Show movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chuck Barris's The Gong Show movie, mm-hmm. which was like the Gong Show movie. I think yeah, it was like. Remember how you used to watch the Gong Show and you go, "I wish this thing had more plot." <laughs> I wish there was a real strong uh, narrative backbone to this. Thing. Um, was one of those things where it was like taken out of theaters immediately right. basically it was so bad <laughs> is it the plot that's like a mystery happening on the set of the gong show or whatever i don't know sounds bad to me uh, how did he get the paper bag on his head that's the question uh you've also got walter, an unknown comic a walter hill western called the long riders i feel like we've mentioned this one before yeah. it's got all three caradines in it right isn't Steve that the Keith one that has Robert. like but then it also has like both quades it and... has both quades both guests yes christopher and nicholas and both keeches right james it, it's and the brothers Stacey. movie sounds stupid but i don't know i kind of want to check it out because of walter uh hill um you've got tom horn what is that no idea that is another western a steve mcqueen old steve mcqueen wow. like late in life he probably died just a couple of years ago. he died that year died wow. in 1980. You've got the nude bomb, which is that's the get smart movie. I fucking right? just guessed it. You you just guessed it like earlier. You mean I guessed it for number five when you said it was a TV. Yeah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. The nude bomb. We, we, I feel like it came. We must have done a movie around here recently because I feel like we talked about the nude bomb, didn't we? I'm always talking about the nude bomb. <laughs> have you seen the nude bomb? Because the nude bomb is like ten years later, right? The yeah. nude bomb. It's it's the, the nude, nude bomb. bomb. It's a it's the get smart movie, but it's. You know, get smart in. It was like, like 12 years after the show had gone no. off the air and it was no. a huge bomb and Hollywood's takeaway was like, never put the word bomb in the title. That <laughs> yeah, means right. the movie will bomb. Truly, that was their... Well, or at least like the fucking press will leap at it. Like, yeah. they'll put it on all their headlines. Uh, number nine is all that jazz. Maybe that's when the new bomb came Oh, out. sure. Right. And then number 10 is Coal Miner's Daughter, which I also feel like we mentioned on that yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. That episode had Lin-Manuel Miranda on it. Yeah, is it pretty wild? Pretty cool. I, I this whole time I've just been thinking that this if I can't imagine bomb. you at the breakfast table with your father, the box office game hits different. Oh sure, you oh, know you, what I mean. Well, like that's it, what you it lacks some emotion. If, yeah, yeah. If I can't imagine you t- really trying to guess with your dad, I David's a stand-in for your. No, father. No, no, no. Yeah, I, in here. many ways, uh, absolutely. No, because it is with with things like this. I'm like, what are other movies we've covered from this year? When yeah. I've looked at box office, tri- it's like remembering triangulating what we, versus. What do we think of the Starship Troopers? Steel. I think it's pretty good. Pretty cool. You see this, Tim? Pretty cool. Oh, so I, I have the that. previous deal they put out for Starship Troopers that was sort of like the Nazi propaganda poster, right? Which I liked, and I'm looking at this and I'm questioning: Are they going to get me to fucking do it? Swap they... steals? Am I going to upgrade? Because it's, it's not a new edition. The thing is There's like, no. Anytime I do that now, yeah. I just give it to Emma Stefanski, who lives near me. Yeah. I'm always, every time I see her, I'm like, I got like six more DVDs that I've duped. Charitable act. Fucking yeah. I have but she's offered like, sure. this service to you guys. Just text me and I will say, don't. 
spend your money. Well, right. you're then offering we'll do the, the opposite, opposite thing. Sir. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Don't buy the thing in the first. Don't Whereas do it, Emma guys. You don't need this. Yeah. Emma gives me the other thing, which is right. like, sure, I'll take Interstellar off your hands. Ben if you're wants upgrading. us to, te- yeah. to text him and say, should I upgrade to the new steel? And Ben will go, no, and you shouldn't have bought the last one either. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> go outside. <Yeah. laughs> right. You never should have bought an edition of this movie, period. I'm so hungry. I am too. Guys, we got to get good. sandwiches. Yeah. Tim. I, I what a pleasure! Thank so you so much for having me. You got to come back. I will absolutely. In my opinion, you in my opinion, I am O. I am Atro. You got to come back. Uh, you're the best, not best. Uh, thank you for having me. You guys are great. Is there anything you want to plug? I know you've been doing the V podcast, right? Yeah. No, I don't want to plug anything. Great. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Don't plug anything. <laughs> you don't even want to plug Goosebumps. Come on, Goosebumps. Fun for the whole family. Yo, I would say I'll, I'll fucking uh, plug. Uh, I'll plug, I don't know, fucking Double Indemnity. I just watched Double Indemnity a couple nights ago. It's fucking great. Go watch that. Can I just say, you do have such a fucking cool career. Like, I I do think when I look at your filmography, you've been able to do such different stuff. Like, both in terms of you working with, like, very cool first-time filmmakers, having, like, small parts and, like, fucking inherent vice and shit. You know, like you're like you're building one of those like ideal random roles careers. I, <laughs> you know, which is like my favorite kind of acting career, where it's just like different sizes, different projects, different genres, budget levels, working with really interesting different people. I've I have come into a thing where like I, I all I want is to have anything that resembles the careers of people that I admire, right. which are like. Sure. Like when it comes down to it, I think Roy Schneider is sort of quickly becoming my favorite movie star. Yeah, and Good and Steve Buscemi. And, uh, um, like those, like those guys, like those are the guys that I've always loved. Yeah. And so I don't know anything that gets me close to anything. I think you're doing those it. guys. Too. I think you're doing it. All right. Well, thank you. You're, you're very flattering. Well, thank you for doing this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Yeah. Please remember to rate review and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to put the show together. Joe Bowen, Pat Reynolds for our artwork, AJ McKeon, Alex Barron, for our editing. JJ Birch for our research. Go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon page where we're doing the James Bond, Roger Moore commentaries. And we'll do the Dr. Sleep episode. Uh, Tune in next week for Full Metal Jacket. Seven year break in between movies. Yeah, who's going to be the guest on that one? I don't know. We have no idea. Cool. That's the end of this episode. And as always, I'm checking my notes here. I believe the coffee drop made the theatrical cut of draft day. I, I, I have they, to tell you it did not, Griff. What, I'm so what? sorry. I'm double checking my notes here. It turns out the coffee drop did not make the final cut of draft. God damn it. Theatrical. <laughs>